Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. That would make me terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by the director of Jason Goes to Hell and the new Secret Santa, which I'm very excited about, Adam Marcus. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing, guys? Excellent. Everything's good. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. We're going to talk about Jason Goes to Hell, but uh, when I brought up Secret Santa, I knew Troy got excited because... Here on Without Your Head, we we really have a soft spot for Christmas horror movies, and we also do it. We also do an annual Secret Satan, so it's very it's a <laughs> nice tie-in. Yep, we're excellent. Fa- yeah, fans send in gifts. I rewrap them up and send them out randomly, and it's a it's a good time. That's fantastic. We actually there's a there's a moment in our credits where the credits stutter. Uh, and it says Secret Satan for a second, so that's kind of amazing. <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell everyone it's 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 uh, it's it's all about the Without Your Head uh, annual event. It's a little uh, uh, please, wait, whatever you need to do, all good, all good by me. Uh, so <laughs> Very we'll, good. We'll talk more about it in a minute, but uh, a lot of people want to know about. It. Of course, Jason goes to hell. And, uh, Absolutely. First of all, actually, how did you even? you know, get involved in making, you know, the, the, the ninth, uh, uh, Friday 13th film. Uh, the very, very abbreviated version of an incredibly long story is that, <laughs> uh, my best friend growing up was a guy named Noel Cunningham 
whose dad was Sean S. Cunningham, the mm-hmm. producer and director of the original Friday the 13th. Uh-huh. And so I interned for Sean as a kid, uh, really starting at about age 10. Um, and I worked for him for a number of years, uh, did table reads for him, worked in editorial, just did a lot of just anything I could do just to be around uh, you know, him in the film business. And my whole family were in the business. They were all actors and, and whatnot, but, uh, and one filmmaker, actually, you ever seen uh, Dunko in the house, the Joe Ellison picture? Oh, oh yeah. 1981. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's my uncle, Ned. I mean, that's my uncle Joe, Joe Ellison. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So I, I made my uncle Ned Eisenberg is one of the leads of the burning. So, um, so I, a lot of, we're, we're steeped in, in the horror tradition. That's for sure. So I uh, started working for Sean very young, and um, by the time I was 15, Sean actually helped fund my first of two theatrical companies that I created in my teen years. Uh, and those companies actually turned kind of a sizable profit, and uh, that's how I ended up being able to go to NYU Film School. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And while I was there, well, thanks, yeah, while I was there, I, um, I won Best Picture for a... Uh, kind of a uh, John Hughes-ish romantic comedy. And uh, I got two job offers. One was from uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost on season two of Twin Peaks. Man. And the other offer was from Sean Cunningham, who said, um, quote unquote, come be my bitch for a year and I'll give you a shot. <laughs> and uh, being, you know, 21, I was actually 20 when that offer was made. Being 20 and, you know, uh, just so full of stars in my eyes, I immediately was like, I'm going to L.A. and I'm going to go make a movie in a year. And uh, so I moved to Los Angeles. And in that first uh, in the first nine months of being there, uh, first, I lived in my car for quite a bit of time, which was awesome. Uh, And uh, I I had grown up in in Connecticut, New York, so I didn't have a driver's license. So I came to L.A. with no driver's license, um, which is insane. Uh, (laughs) But I lived and and I lived in a car that I actually uh, couldn't drive. (laughs) <laughs> so that was that was cool. Um, uh, but the only good thing about the car was it was a 63 a yellow 63 VW bug, which is exactly the car that uh, Kevin Bacon drives in Footloose. So I thought it was super cool, uh, <laughs> oh. but I still couldn't drive the damn car. Um, so anyway, uh, I set up a movie with Sean that was originally titled John, uh, Johnny Zombie, um, that my, my closest friend in college, a guy named Dean Laurie, had written, uh, and that I had been workshopping with him for years. And I really wanted it to be my directorial debut. So Sean ended up uh, setting up the picture at Disney. Uh, we did a bunch of readings, and New Line and Disney got into a bidding war over it, and Disney had deeper pockets, so Sean went with Disney. And they ended up making the movie uh, My Boyfriend's Back, which in almost in no way resembles the original script we had we had workshopped. Uh, but I saw, you know, Disney was going to do what Disney was going to do with it, and I said, I don't want to make that movie. I have no interest in that movie. Um, so what, what movie are you going to give me to direct? <laughs> and, uh, and pretty much said it kind of like that. And he looked at me and said, you know what, Adam? Uh, you are the biggest nudge I've ever met. And that's a really big compliment from me. I was like, okay, great. What am I doing? (laughs) And he said, look, he said, uh, if you can get the damn hockey mask out of the movie, Paramount is going to be relinquishing the, uh, the rights back to new line, um, for over to new line, excuse me, for, uh, for Friday 13th. Um, 
if you can get the mask out of the movie, I'll let you write and direct it. And three days later, I brought him a treatment for what would end up becoming Jason Goes to Hell. And uh, by the time when I was 23, uh, I directed the film and um, I was the youngest writer director ever hired by a major studio. Wow, that's pretty awesome. So a couple of things there. Why why did he want the mask out of the film? Here's the thing, um, you know, Sean, by the way, I know there's a there's a YouTube video uh, out there of Sean at a convention with a bunch of the guys playing Jason, including Kane, where somebody asks that question because I said it. And Sean says, and, uh, by the way, guys, am I allowed to, to swear on yeah, your podcast? Yeah, you can say anything you like. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. oh, yeah, oh, fucking love that. So <laughs> uh, so Sean said uh, on the YouTube video that it was a fucking lie, that I that I was a fucking liar. Uh-huh. Um and my response to that is quite simple. Um, I was 21 when I had this conversation with Sean Cunningham. Um, so, and he was, uh, I think uh, he was almost 50 at that point. Um, so either I, a 21 year old film school graduate was telling Sean S. Cunningham, the creator of the Friday 13th franchise, the house franchise. I mean, this guy is a, is a big, big dude. He's the powerful producer. A 21-year-old either told him I was taking the damn hockey mask out of the movie, which makes him a eunuch, or um, he told me to take the hockey mask out of the movie, which makes him the liar. So I'll take either one. Either, um, either I am the most powerful 21-year-old ever <laughs> to breathe air, or he's a liar. So he can choose whichever one he wants, either eunuch or liar. It's up to him. Um, he took it out of the movie because Sean did not have a tremendous amount of respect for the Friday 13th series. He has a tremendous amount of respect for the money that the Friday 13th series makes him. Um, remember, he didn't create Hockey Mask Jason. Right. He didn't. He, he, he made a movie oh, right. about a mom murdering, murdering uh, counselors for not watching her son who died in the lake. Um, the fact that, you know, that went from a potato sack head in, in part two, which, by the way, I think is terrifying. I, I, I love part I, two. I love that I, movie. I agree with you. We were just talking that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I think that's the scariest incarnation of Jason. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and look, not, you know, and it was definitely spawned somewhat by, you know, the, the popularity of the mm-hmm. elephant man. No choice about it. Um and then, you know, the hockey mask came in part three. That's Steve Miner's film. Um, it's not Sean. Sean had nothing to do with these movies. He collected checks on them, which is great. And he should. He created the series. He created the, the juggernaut that became this magnificent series of crazy, fantastic slasher movies that are just terrific films. So he is the father of that. And again, by the way, Sean Cunningham is one of the best producers I've ever worked with. The guy knows how to make a movie. Boy, howdy. Um, but Sean had no love for the hockey mask. He had no love for Jason. Um, you know, it's, uh, there, there are a lot of people in our industry that, uh, you know, while they're counting their money, laugh at, you know, ah, this is what the kids like, you know? And, uh, I was one of those kids that likes these movies. So, um, that's kind of where it came from. He just didn't have a love for that mask. I think he actually kind of disdained it a little bit because look, I, look, I'll tell you, even from my point of view, you know, when I see my name in print, I'm Adam, Jason goes to hell, Marcus. 
So I get, I get that, you know, Sean, look, Sean made this, you know, Sean made a lot of movies before, before Friday 13th. And he made a lot of movies after Friday 13th. And the only movie that Sean is associated with is Friday 13th. And by the way, he's not even really associated with the film he directed. He's associated with a hockey mask, which he never directed. Right. You know, so I can totally see how that would be a little annoying that your entire life is about this, you know, this, this hockey mask, uh, you know, Mexican wrestler who chops up kids with a machete. I mean, that's his life. Um, so I get where that comes from. For me, I actually, I, I, I find it as a source of pride. Um, and, and even the fact that, you know, my, my, my episode is, is one of the most uh, debated of this, of the franchise. I, I take that as a badge of honor. I'm not, I, that doesn't upset me. It really doesn't. I actually, I think it's kind of awesome. Um, because, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of these films that people just don't talk about at all. Um, and look, let's be honest. I mean, guys, there's, you know, when you think about how many horror movies have been released since Jason goes to hell or how many movies, just great movies have been released since Jason goes to hell and people are still talking about Jason goes to hell. That's, that's awesome. Like I, I feel very blessed and lucky. I love the fans and I, even the ones that hate the movie. I love those guys. Like, okay, (laughs) cool. Argue about it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, when you mentioned that, I like to watch old Cecil and Eberts on YouTube. Part of it is I grew yep. up watching them, and uh, it's just—it's not just a nostalgia. It's fun to watch for me, and I'm always taken back by so many movies that I have no recollection of, or that no one right. ever talks about. And some of them were big right. movies that might have been up for Oscars and stuff. And it's like they're just totally forgotten in time. Like yep. you know, no one yep. ever brings them up, and then it makes you think like, what is it about such and such movie that? That people, you know, really remember. And uh, uh, really in the horror genre, a lot of movies are remembered a lot more than, uh, you know, quote unquote, you know, uh, big films. Yep. So absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And look, you know, uh, the night that Jason Goes to Hell came out, because I had seen it so many times by that point. So I go into a, into a I think it was like a, tri- a, a, a threeplex, right, in L.A. And uh, the night it came out, I purchased a ticket for Jason Goes to Hell my movie to make every dollar I can. And then I walked into the theater playing searching for Bobby Fisher. Uh-huh. Because I really wanted to see that movie. Right? I really wanted to see the movie. Uh-huh. And searching, searching for Bobby Fisher is a masterpiece. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a brilliant film. So well told. Um, I, I, I dare you to tell me that you've thought about that movie in 20 years. <laughs> no. Right. right. That's exactly. the point. So here's this film that is, you know, by the by, the man who wrote Schindler's List, for, for goodness yep. sake. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful piece of writing. It's wonderfully directed. It's the acting is marvelous. And again, uh, show me to searching for Bobby Fisher. Mm-hmm. You can't find it, but you'll find two thousand of them about Friday Thirteenth, and you will find an argument on every page between the people that love Jason Goes to Hell and the people who hate Jason Goes to Hell. And it's all awesome. yeah. I mean, again, like how cool is that? I'm sorry, like that's that's freaking cool. Mm-hmm. It just is. Yeah. You know? I've, so I've told very I've lucky. Told story, yeah, I've told a story of the show. I remember I still remember this day when I saw Jason Goes to Hell at the theater. It was uh yeah. and don't take this the wrong way when I say what happened. I won't it was my, I won't. It was my friend uh, Joey and myself, and there was one other person in the theater. I live in a small town in, in Wareham, sure. and um, 
and he and so Joey and I were sitting there, and, and there's some of the guys across the aisle, and the scene where the where the uh, the guys did the autopsy bites into the into yep. the heart. Joey and I just burst into laughter, and we're laughing the rest of the movie. And that guy was yep. so pissed across the aisle from us, and he got up and stormed out at the end of the movie. He's mad that we were laughing, ah. through. but we laughed because <laughs> we were having a good time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, and by the way, polarize it even then, Neil. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. Look, when, when uh, you know, my favorite of all of the Friday 13th is part six. It's always been my favorite. Um, and the biggest reason it's my favorite is because it's, it's the first movie of the franchise to really find a sense of humor. The oh, movie, yeah. it, takes its, it takes itself seriously, but it's having fun at the same time. Um, it's not going self-referential like Scream, but it's, it, it has a really healthy, amazing sense of humor. And the fact that, look... You know, Arnold Horshack gets killed in the first scene. Right, <laughs> right there, that's that that's announcing the movie that it is. So I love that film. And when I went to make Jason Goes to Hell, because I found that that part seven um, and part eight had both become very, very kind of dark and serious, very serious. And my sense was, it's like, look, um, I definitely want to make a serious, dark movie without a doubt but I also want it to be really funny. It's like at some point we do have to start laughing with this stuff. And what I love about, about my film is that um, I think, especially because all the self-referential stuff, as far as the, the film business is concerned and the other franchises and other horror things that I grew up loving, which is why all that stuff's in there. Um, I, I wanted the movie to have a sense of humor and to be playful and so, you know, like, I love when people go like, you know, what the hell, why the hell did you put that scene of shaving that guy? Why is Jason shaving? <laughs> uh-huh. and, you know, why is it, why is this middle-aged <laughs> naked dude in stirrups, uh-huh. you know? And my response to it is because I knew you would ask me that question 25 years later. Uh-huh. That's why it's in there. Uh-huh. I mean, it's absurdist. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's over the top. And it is, and it, and here's the thing it put my audience more on edge than any kind of slashing or killing I could do. We had seen a ton of killing. That's, that's easy. That's easy. How do I unnerve an audience in a way that's more clever, that they're not seeing it coming. And no one saw that scene coming when that, the the moment that shot open, people were like, what the fuck is this? That's awesome. (laughs) And I, I wanted it to be the most, what the fuck movie of the franchise. I did. I think you succeed. I watched it again. I've seen it many times, but I actually haven't seen it in a lot of times. So I'm watching it for the interview. And uh, I just had that same feeling as I did when I watched it the first time in the theater. It's just so, it really is like batshit crazy. And it's, uh, yep. and it, it honestly made me laugh. Um, you know, I was watching it at home and I was laughing watching this. Even the beginning when, you know, they have the big SWAT team comes out and just blows away Jason. That whole scene's mm-hmm. just fantastic, really. Like incoming, you, and they blow, they blow Jason up. I mean, and really, what else are you going to do to Jason at this point? It's just perfect. Yeah, well, you I, didn't see and, it coming. That's for sure. Right. And look, here's here's the thing about the opening of the film, and 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 where the movie, you know, look, while while I definitely wanted to have fun with the franchise, and I definitely wanted to make a, a what the hell movie. Um, you know, the beginning of the movie is based on a very simple idea, which was we were all sitting around talking about 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 Jason. And I said, okay, so this guy, ostensibly, in this series of movies, has killed well over 100 people in a very short period of time. 
I said, that's no longer a sheriff's department issue. That's a federal issue. Mm-hmm. He's a serial killer on a mass scale. So are we at some point going to actually acknowledge the fact that the feds would be brought in to deal <laughs> with their Jason Voorhees problem? Uh-huh. And so the minute that I said that, everybody was like, wait a sec, that that's kind of awesome. And that's when we started talking about the sting operation. And wouldn't it be great? And there was an amazing guy, a guy named Lou Abernathy, um, who uh, wrote, uh, was one of the co-writers and director of uh, House 4. Um, he's also in Titanic. He plays Bill Pullman's partner. He, he looks like Grizzly Adams. He's got this kind of wild beard. He's a good friend of James Cameron. Um, oh. Anyway, this guy, this guy did all the uh, guns on our movie. He's actually, he's an armorer. Um, and he did all the guns on Jason Goes to Hell, but he also came in and talked with us about the, the film and talked to us about the opening of the film specifically. And it was kind of amazing because he was one of the people who was very instrumental in breaking open that opening um, to really turn it. And by the way, I think he also wanted to get us to rent a lot of his guns, um, which we did. Uh, but oh, he was worked. helpful in. Yeah, right. And he, but he was helpful in structuring that. And um, nobody ever talks about Lewis. He's a, he's a really good guy. He he, uh, he was very helpful on the movies. He's, he's a terrific dude. Um, and so, you know, that opening was born out of wanting to be as logical as we could possibly be with the film. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, was the was your original uh, concept for the movie that that you showed, Sean? Was how similar was that to what 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 we we seen? The actual Jason goes to hell. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the body jumping was there because, again, I was told to get rid of the mask. Um, the original concept of the movie was actually about Jason's, bo- uh, Jason's brother, Elias. So there's this thing where everybody talks about Elias being dad. It's not true. Dad was originally the brother, not the dad. Um, <clears throat> Elias was a character that, that I created. Um, that was truly in the mix just so that, um, so that I could, uh, get away from Jason and put the evil into, he, he ate the heart. He did eat the black heart. Uh, but the opening of the film was so, uh, dark and shocking originally, uh, as it was first written because you had, you had this image of Crystal Lake and you had a guy um, rowing out onto Crystal Lake early, early in the morning, right? And so you can barely see, you just see like a silhouette of a guy on the lake. And then you see him put a diving mask on and dive backwards off the back of this little boat that he's in, right? And he finds Jason's body. Brings him up, puts him in the boat, rows back to shore. Drags this body into a cabin where there's an entire operating theater that this guy has kind of constructed, but this really janky, awful looking operating theater. Right. And, uh, he starts to perform surgery on Jason Voorhees and he exposed, and the, the body is just, you know, just a husk of what it, you know, of, of what a human being should be. But when he exposes the heart and goes to pull the heart out of the body, Jason's eyes open. And there's this death struggle between Jason and Elias uh, where Elias has got all these kind of hideous boils. He's just covered in these like pustules. Um, and Jason, of course, is Jason. And so Elias is pulling Jason's heart from his chest, trying to yank it out. 
while Jason is crushing Elias' skull, but it's popping these pustules all over the place. There's all this pus and stuff flying. Um, and they're in this death grip where Jason's trying to crush his brother's head while he's trying to rip his brother's heart out. Um, and, uh, and he ultimately pulls the heart out and Jason's body falls dead on the table. And then Elias, who's bleeding and pussing and every other kind of thing, he eats the heart. And that's when he becomes the first incarnation of Jason Voorhees outside of the, the hockey mask body. Um, so that was the original opening of the film. Um, it was really dark. The movie was really brutal. The first version of it that, that, that I came to him with, which Sean loved. Uh, but New Line was like, well, we're a little darker than we want to go. Uh, so <laughs> we had to we had to kind of reconstruct some elements of it. But I have to say, um, the the structure the structure of the film was very similar from the first incarnation to the end. I will also say this: the the lead character um, that John DeLamay plays, Stephen Freeman, that was originally supposed to be Tommy Jarvis. Oh, okay. What happened was New Line uh, New Line didn't own Friday the Third. They didn't own Tommy. They just owned Jason. They didn't own Friday the Thirteenth. They didn't own anything but Jason Voorhees. That's oh. what they owned. So we couldn't use Tommy. We couldn't use the title Friday the 13th. It's why it's Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, yeah. and uh, Jason X. That's why. Because they could not use Friday the 13th. Um, which, of course, leads us to all of the issues that the title now has, which it's splintered all over the place. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the one before that ends with Jason inexplicably yeah. turn into a, a child when he's in the, yep. the sewers of Manhattan. Yep. Uh, did, yep. uh, did you try to deal with that at all? Or did you just kind of, no, I, I, I was actually told to ignore it. Um, Sean okay. actually told me to ignore that part eight even happened. Um, I, I think, I think, uh, I think Paramount wanted to ignore that it happened. I think everybody did hunt with it. Um, and let this guy's going to, no, okay. sorry. Uh, I, uh, yeah, we, we were told to ignore it. Um, and so I did, <laughs> so I did what they asked me to do, but honestly, look, guys, here's the thing. I, and, and look, I have no ill will towards part eight. You know, uh-huh. it, it's, it, 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 I, again, you know, there, there's a certain part when you're 21, you're following some orders from, you know, people who know what they're doing. Um, for me, uh, part eight was the promise of, Let's take the baddest guy on planet Earth and put him in the baddest city. Um, because, you know, late 80s New York was a pretty bad city. It was pretty awesome. I mean, I, I grew up there. It was violent and it was crazy. Uh, and then Jason, you know, took a boat ride. And, <laughs> arrived, you know, and then arrived in Montreal um, and, uh, and did one scene in Times Square. So for me, you know, Jason Takes Manhattan was like the coolest idea ever that uh, I don't think ever became the movie that I think everybody wanted it to be. Um, And so when they said, don't deal with part eight, I was a little relieved. And I was like, great, because I'd rather just stick with part seven and the ending of part seven. That'll work. Yeah, it is a cool poster. So that's though. kind of where it came from. Yeah, Jason. Cool, oh man, man it's, it's a great poster. Yeah, it's a great poster. And by the way, it's the single best uh, trailer of any Friday Thirteenth film. The trailer is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing okay. because it's Jason on the Jersey side 
uh, looking at Manhattan mm-hmm. and the song New York, New York is playing behind him as you're closing in on him. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, that's just badass. That's awesome. So um, again, I would love to see somebody actually make Jason in Manhattan. I would love to see that. Movie. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be yeah. awesome. I've always thought about they they do a lot of you know it's kind of cool now to do like uh the well the reboots of or like direct sequels to the first movie and they skip over anything but I was like like why don't they remake like certain parts of a franchise or direct sequels to like different parts of like I want to see a direct sure. sequel to like Halloween Six because we never got a payoff to to what was going on absolutely absolutely <laughs> I couldn't agree more I think it's uh, great that's great yeah. that's great mm-hmm. that's yeah a I lot agree. Of, um. Yeah. You know, I was just about to ask about Kane Hodder. What was uh, what was Please he like do. to work with, and uh, what were his thoughts on Jason not really being part of the movie as much? Um. Well, first things first. Kane is uh, one of the most professional guys I've ever worked with. I love I love Kane. I adore him, and he was also the stunt coordinator for the entire film. And the movie had at least one stunt working every single day in production. So uh, Kane was. Um, Kane was my right hand the whole movie. I mean, he was there and involved every single day. Uh, I think Kane, when he first read it, was a little pissed. (laughs) Uh, However, he totally understood my concept. He got it. And, uh, you know, Kane Hodder got to be in the movie with his own face. And he got to tell his own Jason, you know, he ain't nothing but a big old pussy. Um, which is kind of awesome. So Kane got to actually appear in the movie and he also played Freddy Krueger at the end of the movie. So, you know, for Kane, it was, and plus he, he, you know, he stunt doubled a bunch of the stuff in the movie for other actors. Mm -hmm. He was, there was never a moment Kane wasn't working. So I think Kane was psyched that he was going to be involved all the time. And again, he's a professional and he totally, and look, Kane understood really quickly what a fan I am of not just, Friday the 13th, but of the character. Um, for my money, there is no other Jason. That's, that's, how, that's where I come from. Um, Kane Hodder is Jason Voorhees. Kane Hodder is, uh, he lives and breathes that character. He understand he has an encyclopedia of, of movement for the character. He, um, he, because Kane's an actor, he, he's not just a stunt guy, he's an actor. So he imbues that character with something. And, um, and I think that's kind of remarkable. Uh, so no, I, I adore Kane and Kane's a guy that, uh, you know, that I'd work with Kane any day of the week. So, uh, he, he's, he is simply the best. Yeah. He said something once in a panel I was at, uh, which yeah. always stuck with me because he said about other people playing the character who don't love the character. And I could tell like, you know, that really meant something to him. It was obviously yep. it's great to play the character to get paid and everything. But it, it, like he really does love the, he does love Jason. Not only to yes, play, he, he loves the character. And uh, I yes, thought that does. was that was great. You know. Yeah, yeah. And we he, look. We t- we we would talk a lot about the psychology of the character. I mean, he didn't he didn't play him as a mindless zombie. He played him as somebody who was this sort of tortured soul, mm-hmm. um, who you know was horribly abused and picked on as a child. Um, and then lost the one person in his life who, who loved him, which is his mother who sacrificed herself for him. So, you know, it, 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 it's a pretty deep piece of, of, of character work if you allow it to be rather than just playing a monster. Mm-hmm. So Kane's amazing. Yeah. 
for him playing the other role as the uh, security, um, yeah. how many people at the time like knew that was him? Because this is before the internet when everyone knows, you know, who who plays the different characters and what they look right. like without their masks on. So, uh, there a, you'd have to be, I would assume you have to be like a real hardcore fan to, to, to notice that at the time. I, I will tell you this, every theater and every screening I was in at the time, we got a laugh from several people in the audience that wasn't about to laugh about the line. There were people who recognized Kane in pretty much every screening that I went to. So oh, he true. had already, because he had already done, you know, he'd already done uh, part seven and part eight. So he had done the festival circuit and hardcore fans did know him. Anybody who re- read Fangoria knew what Kane looked like. Um, and oh. so we would get a laugh about the line cause the line is funny. Um, but people would respond the minute they saw Kane. So before the line, you would get this sort of like, Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> that kind of stuff in the yeah. theater. So, yeah. I actually yeah, just mentioned definitely... there. Yeah. We just yeah. mentioned there about Fangoria. I didn't think too much oh. about that, but, um, it kind of reversed to what I said. I think the internet, uh, I know Fangoria's back now and it's very expensive yeah. to subscribe to it, but I think the internet really hurt the magazines. Uh, because sure. hell yeah, you know that kind of stuff. You know uh, to what Kane Hodder looks like. You there would be no other way to really find that out unless you found him somewhere. Uh, the magazines were much more uh, important, I think, to, to the genre at the time. You bet, you bet. And look, I, I you know, please God bless Fango for coming back. And mm-hmm. I, I do love. Um, I don't know if you you've seen this, but um, I, I've always been a subscriber to Fango, so they sent me uh, a letter. Uh, when they were going to start up again. And uh, the letter <laughs> basically said, look, this is going to be a magazine only. This, you cannot find this online. There'll be no digital version of this. You That's have to it. turn off your phone and actually read a magazine. <laughs> and I kind of went, you know what? This is like vinyl. Yeah, that's This that's is like perfect. people going back to vinyl. You know, it's like, that's kind of badass. Like, good for them. And look, I read Rue Morgue cover to cover every every month. I do. Um, because I, I do love having something tangible in my hand that I can, you know, that, that, that I can read. And I, I, you know, your phone is great and being on the internet is great. I I love all of it, but, but honestly, there is something about holding a magazine and reading through a magazine that is just kind of great. So I love this. I love that these things exist. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I used to look at my brother's uh, magazines. I mean, the, the horror magazines. And the uh, and, and some of those images still stick with me. The the kids outside the window in um, in Salem's Lot, I always still find very terrifying because that was yeah that and and scenes from Martin always stick with me. I always I always oh, remember yeah. from the sure. magazines being very scary looking. Yeah, it was just famous totally... monsters was always good for that stuff too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was more of I think yep. a, a fun magazine. I think yeah, that's like true. a love of uh, the other one was a little scarier at least yeah. for me at the time. Yeah, might have been my age. You know? Yep. 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 No, I found it scary too when I was a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, by the way, I actually just watched uh, uh, Salem's Lot because uh, I was sick, so I was watching all this stuff on Shutter. I was like, man, I haven't seen Salem's Lot for years, and it still totally holds up. Uh, I-, I love that. Movie. Oh, it's a great film. It's a great mm-hmm. film. To- look, to- uh, Toby Hooper, who who uh, my wife uh, Deborah and I work with for on on uh, on Texas Chainsaw. Um, Toby, uh, beyond being just a hell of a guy, was also, um, he's a really good director uh, who had such love for the genre. And Salem's Lot is beautifully directed. It's yeah. so well done. 
Um, I agree with you. I, I think it holds up. I think it's a fantastic movie to this day. I think it's just a great film. Yeah. Yeah. And when Barlow finally makes a scene, it takes a while, but it totally lives up to you. You know, you're, you're waiting oh, yeah. for that moment. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. So yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah. it's terrific. It's, it's a great film. So I guess Creighton Dixon. Uh, how do you how do you cast Creighton Dixon? Because it's such a you mean Creighton Derek. Great. I'm sorry. Yes. How, how do you yeah, uh, no how problem. do you yeah how how do you go about you know, finding the the right person? Uh, here's what happened. Creighton Duke was originally supposed to be played by a different actor. There was a guy that had been hired who was a Broadway a bit of a Broadway superstar, a uh, wonderful actor named John Rubenstein who was going to play the part. Um, and at the last minute, there was a scheduling conflict and he, he had to fall out of the project, which was, which, which was, uh, painful for all of us. Cause he had a great sense of humor and a great take on the character. And I had, uh, an amazing casting director, a guy named Barry Moss, who worked with another guy named David Giella. And they, they were so good in bringing me just unique, amazing people to work with. And, uh, Barry said to me, he said, cause originally the character was white. Mm-hmm. And he said, how do you feel about, about casting an African-American man for this? And I said, I, great, as long as the guy's really good and he, and he, gets, the, you know, he gets the idea for the part. He says, there's a guy um, named Stephen Williams who I think would be amazing. And I was like, okay, let me meet him. Uh, he walks in the door and immediately I'm like, 21 Jump Street. Got it. I know who that is. Uh, dude, I, I have never seen someone... Uh, crush a reading like this guy did. Uh, his sense of humor was so extraordinary. His his eyes are so penetrating. Um, it it was it was one of the quickest decisions I've ever made as a director. I was like, you are Creighton Duke. Like I, whoever was supposed to play before had disappeared. There was no. It, 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 it was like the clouds lifted when he walked in the room. Um, he is just he is he is a badass motherfucker. Stephen Williams. He just is, man. He is. And again, funny. God, is he funny. Uh, and kind of a little bit of a, of a cowboy himself. So no, I, I loved working with, with him and, uh, it was, it, it, it was one of the easiest pieces of casting, uh, simply because he walked in the room and he was Creighton dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, earlier when you're talking about like, um, having like, uh, things in the movie from other franchises, uh, yeah. and one of oh, them yeah. really has, has kind of got its life its own now, uh, having the um, the Necronomicon in yep. in, uh, in the movie, and so now it's you know all these people talking about Jason as a deadite. Uh, did you Ooh. have you ever did you ever think of that w- when you were making the movie? And what are your thoughts on people uh, you know having that as has uh, has an opinion? Or well, or, I'll tell you that it's not it's not a it's not a rumor actually, and it came it came from me. Um, that, that whole dead eye thing came from me. Okay. What, what, here's what happened. Here, yeah. Here's what happened. Um, uh, I, I have, uh, certain logic problems with the Friday 13th films. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts right with part two. So if you believe that Jason's a boy who has lived at the bottom of crystal Lake, or at least, you know, learned to swim since his demise 30 years earlier, if you believe that that kid is there, right? Um, then he isn't human. And he still is a little boy when he jumps out of the lake in part one. Now, if you believe that that's not Alice's dream, but that Jason's really there and that you have to, to go to part two, 
Um, Alice is killed in her kitchen, which is at least miles away from <laughs> Crystal Lake. So first off, a little boy turned into a grown man by the time he got to Alice's apartment. So that's odd um, because it's not a little boy's hand that stabs Alice. It's a man's hand that stabs Alice. Um, he's also somehow, you know, he's found a way to find directions to Alice's house, which is savvy. Um, he has somehow gotten himself to Alice's house and then dragged Alice's body and his mommy's head back to Crystal Lake. Because when you get to his shrine, the head is there, but so is Alice's body is there at the shrine. So if you just start with that, you go, okay, so Jason isn't human. By the time we get to part six, where he is resurrected with a bolt of lightning, he's certainly not human anymore. And everybody likes to call him zombie Jason. Mm -hmm. So for my money, um, look, when I was a kid, uh, you know, when we got our, I I lived in uh, Westport, Connecticut, and I spent a lot of time in Manhattan with my dad. And uh, Evil Dead did not come to Westport, Connecticut, the the original film, but everybody was talking about it. And of course, it was in the pages of Fangoria. So I got a buddy of mine in New York to get me, and I was maybe 13, 14 at the time, to get me a bootleg copy of the movie, right, on VHS. And me and my buddies watched it in in my friend's basement. Uh And it was, for me, it was life-changing because I knew it was done for cheap. I knew it was done for almost nothing. <laughs> um, and I went like, I want to make movies like that. I want to do that. Like down and dirty, angry, evil fucking filmmaking. Like that looks fucking cool. And so that movie stuck with me the rest of my life to this day. Um, when Right when I was doing pre-production on Jason Goes to Hell, Bob Kurtzman and the K&B guys, Bob's one of my best friends the last 25 years, uh, we were, uh, they were doing army of darkness. They were doing all of the effects for army of darkness with Sam. And so they asked me to come to the set. So I go up to this, to the castle, the castle set that they had built up in Valencia, up in, in, uh, in California. And, uh, and I got to hang out with Sam and, uh, I actually ran around with puppeteering one of the deadites for a little bit. I mean, I was like, I was having a ball. I was like, I was like a kid in a candy shop. That's awesome. And, it was awesome. And uh, it was there that I said to Bob Kurtzman, I said, look, I said, I have an idea about Jason. I know that I can't say it in the movie because they don't own the rights to the franchise, the Evil Dead franchise. I said, but I got to tell you, I think, I think it would be great if I can put in the movie that Pamela Voorhees has the Necronomicon and that she's the one who she speaks the words and resurrects her son. Mm. That's pretty before cool. Before she goes on her killing spree. Yeah, yeah. Because she'll she'll do anything to to bring her son back to have her son. Mm-hmm. I said that then Jason can pretty much do anything. Um, now at the time, <laughs> the lore around Deadites didn't include Ash versus Evil Dead. True. Um, so the lore has become much more complicated and interesting, quite frankly. So I know there are different versions of deadites and that there are deadites. And then there are, I can't remember the name the, the other deadites, but they aren't deadites. They're thinking deadites. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not hive mind. 
Um, which, of course, was more the way I was thinking of Jason, that he was his own singular sort of creation. But um, that was why I asked Sam for the Necronomicon, and Sam gave it to me, um, and the dagger. Um, so the fact that, you know, you're killed with the dagger that can, that can dispatch the evil dead, um, the fact that the Necronomicon is in the movie, I love when people, you know, like there have been a couple people since I, you know, since I, since I told people this, um, you know, 24 years later, um, there are a lot of people who are freaking out like, Oh, that's bullshit. It can't be Adam's just making that up. Uh, you know, I'm like, really? Am I making it up? Okay. There is, I have a long scene of Stephen Freeman flipping through the pages of the Necronomicon. He's not, it's not a thing in the background. It's not just there. It's active in the movie. And then I use the dagger. Um, really? I just made it up, did I? So here's the thing. <laughs> if you ask me, uh, the Evil Dead is canon in Friday the 13th. I was trying to stitch those two franchises together because for my money, I would love to see Ash versus Jason versus Freddy. I'd love oh my to see God, that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's what I was angling for. And look, by the way, you know, the, the moment of the glove at the end of the film, that was not a studio note. That was my creation. Um, my, my roommates and I were hanging out. My roommates were getting stoned to the bejesus. Uh, I don't drink or, or smoke. So I was watching them and laughing and we were coming up with cool shit we could do in the movie. And since Dean wrote the script with me and Noel was, uh, was one of the assistant editors on the film, um, you know, that was the, the core group of sort of creative people that could actually talk about the movie and, and, and make, make stuff happen. And I said, wait a minute. Um, doesn't new line own Freddie outright? And they were like, yeah. I said, well, wouldn't it be fucking awesome if, if yeah, Freddie, they had just had Freddie's dad. So Freddie's in hell already. Wouldn't it be great if Freddie's the one who drags him into hell at the end? And my buddies were like, that's fucking badass. And immediately I got on the phone with, I got, I got on the phone with my two executives at New Line, Mike DeLuca and Mark Ordesky, both amazing guys. And, uh, and I told them, I said, I wanted, I, you know, I said, can I have the glove? And they were like, what do you want it for? I told them what the scene was. And the next day, uh, a guy uh, came to our set with a box, with a locked box, um, with that glove in it. And he stayed there until we finished the scene. And then he went out with the glove. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, wow. It was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, well, but yeah, that is the glove. That's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it was a locked box. It was like there was no getting – that glove could not be passed around. Nobody got to play with it. Yeah, right. Myself, myself, Bob Kurtzman, and Kane Hodder, and that's it. Um, the, fun, the funny thing is Sam Raimi gave me the Necronomicon literally in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> he just handed it to me. There you go. He was thrilled. He was thrilled. So – so again, you know, it, look, it, I, I wanted the film for my money, you know, and, and it's so funny because now, now it's become the way everything goes. You look at the Marvel universe and everything is mm. somehow connected. Oh, um, yeah. I yep. wanted back then, I wanted all of these, these characters that I adore. I wanted them all to live in the same universe. Like I was actually really kind of excited about that idea. And, uh, and I was directing the movie so I could actually do that. So that's what I was up to. Um, I wanted to bring as much of the horror world into the world of Jason Goes to Hell 
to kind of go, well, now these things are linked. So why don't we have some badass, you know, showdowns between these people? And again, New Line always wanted uh, a Freddy versus Jason movie. It's why they bought the rights to begin with. They never told me that. I just know that that's what they wanted to do. Um, so when I came up with the ending, they were so psyched. Oh, my God, they were excited. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how that ending, uh, was created. And that's, that's the backstory on the, on the evil dead, dead I, uh, connection. And, uh, you yeah. know, that whole, that whole ending really feels like, uh, out of the evil dead world with kind of like the, the puppet yep. arms pulling them in and yep. uh, it would totally, yep. totally fit in. And I always thought with the Ash makes perfect sense because all the other franchises, uh, the key character is always the villain. And uh, yes. Army, you know, Ash is the only hero in any of the franchises. Maybe Reggie from Phantasm, but like pretty much the only, uh, the only uh, main character from the franchise who's actually a hero. So to, to have him in there would, I think, would really make the movies work better. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And look, here's the thing: it's it's also what's important for me about Jason Goes to Hell, and why I think Part Six works so well. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the villain being the only thing you give a crap about in these movies. And that's the problem with most, most, most genre films, um, especially sort of the serial killer trope. Um, we end up carrying, caring much more about these monsters than we do about our heroes. And for my money, um, I think a hero is only as compelling as the villain. I think the same is in reverse. I think a villain is only as compelling as the hero. And so for me, you know, it's why I spent so much time kind of character building in Jason Goes to Hell, because I wanted you to like the people before we slaughtered them. Mm-hmm. I want you to care. I want you to I want these these to be real human beings, not cardboard card outs, not, hey, man, I'm horny. Let's get high. Oh, who's that guy with the machete? You know, I, OK, we've done that, you know. I wanted it to be something where we where we were like, look, these are real people with real world issues. I mean, the, these people are complaining about money. They're complaining about baby mama drama. Um, they're complaining about things that human beings complain about. And then the horror happens. And to me, that's always scarier and I think more interesting because then you give a shit when people go. So that was, you know, that was that was the intention, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I got some questions here on Facebook. Lou wants to know, um, uh, do you still keep in contact with Sean at all? Sean Cunningham. I really don't. Um, Sean reached out to me uh, after the film. Uh, I made a film several years later. It was a romantic comedy that was a big Sundance hit and uh, that was in festivals all over the world and, and did very nicely critically and all that. Um, and he reached out to me after that and was very sweet, said a couple of very nice things. Um, that's really the last communication I've had with him. We haven't spoken in a very long time. Uh, and mostly because Sean, um, Sean has a narrative in his head that is his narrative and that's totally cool. And I respect that. Uh, for me, um, he, he made things about money. It was always about money and I'm not that guy. And so I, I don't really dig that. Um, I, I want it to be about telling stories and about the art and about the excitement over that. So I owe my career to Sean. God bless Sean. He's an amazing guy and he's an incredible producer. Um, but no, we don't, we don't really keep in contact. Uh, Tony wants to know, why did Creighton Duke have to die? Creighton Duke didn't die. There's the answer. Mm. There we go. There's the answer. 
Uh-huh. He did not die. Uh, Dean, Dean Laurie and I both, uh, we, it, the way I shot it was to give you this kind of moment of like, Oh no. But honestly, his, he, he exhales, but you don't really see the light go out of his eyes. So, uh, and, and, and to that end, uh, my new production company skeleton crew is basically doing something to, uh, resurrect Creighton Duke as a, oh. as a standalone character. Yeah, that's very exciting. It's very exciting. Yep, and it was I, it was good to see the actor recently in the in the new hit. So. Oh yeah, and he's also the star of that show, that Showtime show, The Shy, and he's phenomenal. Oh, I'm not, I'm not watched that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, it's a good show, and Stephen is badass. He's he's oh. just killing it. So no, no. I, I by the way, when I say re- resurrecting the character, I mean resurrecting it with Stephen Williams. So yeah, uh, awesome. they they are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't see someone else playing him. That's very exciting. Uh, Lewis wants to know, is it true that there was controversy with the poster because of the phallic snake going through the mask? There sure was. Um, USA Today ran a story, actually, uh, three days before the movie opened, where um, across across mostly sort of the Midwest and into the South, uh, the poster had been banned in many locations. And what they would do is they put this big black bar across the snake. Um, so that, you, so that, that so would that make no it even worse, I think. I know that oh, everybody dude. would want to know. By the way, I could not have been more happy. I was, I was giddy when I saw that article in the USA Today. I was, and it showed it. It showed the poster with the big black bar across it, and I was like, "This is glorious." There's <laughs> nothing better than telling teenagers you can't look behind that black bar. Oh, oh exactly. it, it is literally inviting you in. So it was terrific. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> People, people were like, why is there a giant penis, a giant angry <laughs> penis jumping out of that hockey mask? So, yes, there was definitely a controversy. Uh, Andy wants to know, uh, if you could uh, write or direct the next Friday the 13th, what kind of movie would it be? Um, I <laughs> I actually think what, what if they if they make a, another Friday the 13th film, um, and I don't know if they ever will because the rights are so splintered now, but... Um, I think if, they, if anyone ever gets the chance to do it, um, I, I would go super old school with it. Um, I think, uh, I don't, I, have, have any, have you guys seen uh, Never Hike Alone? No, I'm not. No. It's terrific. Um, oh, is, that the line. Fan, is that the fan film? Yes. Yeah, yes. I did see that. Yes. Uh, it is incredibly well done. Um, it also has a couple of nods in it that I think are brilliant. That are things that I would have wanted to do when I was when I was making Jason Goes to Hell. I won't give any spoilers away, but because you should see it. Um, but I got to tell you, that's the kind of movie that should be made. Um, I think that it should be really down and dirty. I think it should be a very quiet movie. Um, I don't think uh, putting Jason in Disneyland or L.A. or hell or uh, the dark side of the moon is needed. I think that you go back to basics. Um, You don't try to tell other Friday 13th stories. You tell something very simple, very frightening. uh, And I would put Jason in the dark most of the movie. I would not show Jason as much as as he's been shown in the past. I would, I would make that. And I would also, I would love to see that go alongside of, there was a wonderful comic book years ago. I think Wildstorm put it out. Um, that was called Pamela's story, which was about Pamela Voorhees raising this little boy. Um, and it was, it's a beautiful comic book. It's harrowing. It's really well done. 
and showing sort of her going over the bend. And for my money, I would actually put those two stories together um, and have them live side by side. So you'd be seeing sort of Jason's childhood with his mother alongside of a very kind of simple, quiet, frightening version of, of Jason in the woods. Um, and I think, uh, I think that would be a really cool movie. And I, I think it would actually bring in a new, a new group of fans that could actually, um, kind of go back to basics with it. Uh, kind of what Sean was doing originally, um, just make a really good, scary in the woods, in the dark kind of movie. So that, that's what I would do. Uh, did, were you, um, in talks at all to, to do any, uh, Friday 13th movies after, after the one you did? Yeah, I, I, I went in and pitched on um, on uh, Freddy vs. Jason uh, right after Jason Goes to Hell. I, I, I actually had a deal at New Line for, for several pictures, and then the, the company got bought by Ted Turner, and they kind of declared horror dead at New Line, which was uh-huh. just awful, um, just so sad. So, yeah, I, I went in uh, on, on Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, Dean Laurie and I had a really cool take on, 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 the, on the project. And... Um, so yeah, that that's the only that's the only Friday I was I was actually consulted on after that. Uh, did did you have any say in it then, uh, in the movie that we saw? Uh, no, I had I, I had a, I had an idea that was really badass and cool. Um, mm-hmm. that was uh, that would have incorporated Heather Langenkamp's character. It would have brought uh, oh, Tommy nice. Jarvis back into the into the movie, and Creighton Duke. We had all three of them back, um, and it was uh, sort of what you find out is that Freddie and Jason are hell's assassins and that there's only room enough left, uh, left on earth for one of them. So only one can be there. And the way it's going to get chosen is that, uh, whichever one of them gets Tommy and Heather wins. Mm-hmm. I like so, that. so you've yeah, got Creighton Duke. Concept. I like that too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You got Creighton Duke protecting Tommy and Heather. You've also got, Freddie and Jason, every time one of them gets close to the other one, they stop each other. So there's this constant sort of stopping from getting the prize, mm-hmm. um, which was just really fun and scary. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that was and, that was sort of the, the idea behind it. Yeah. And like you said earlier, which I totally agree with, it brings in some people that you actually care about uh, living. Yep. You know, instead that of was just the idea. You know, watching people kill people. Absolutely. It was like, let's take the best characters of these franchises and let's mash that all together. Because again, Freddy versus Jason is great, but again, you've got two villains. What are the heroes going to be in that movie? And for me to have another collection of teenagers, I was like, all right, whatever. Next. You know, it's like, uh, I I, want to see adult characters that are interesting and that have more to say than, dude, let's get stoned. I got it. So uh, uh, tell us about Secret Santa. Awesome. I will. Uh, Secret Santa comes out of my, my new production company, uh, Skeleton Crew, uh, that was formed with my, uh, incredible partner and wife, Deborah Sullivan, who has been my writing partner for the last 23 years. Um, and, uh, and my best friend and truly one of the best guys I've ever known and the single best producer I've worked with, uh, a guy named Brian Sexton. Um, so the three of us created the company about three years ago. Uh, and we started, um, we have three divisions of the company. There's a, a ultra low budget, there's a high budget, and then there's a television department. And we are doing projects in all three of those departments. But for me personally, the ultra low budget is my favorite part of it because 
I kind of want to give back to young filmmakers what was given to me um, as mm-hmm. a young filmmaker and give give new voices a chance to thrive. The other thing is I've got a ton of brilliant writer friends in 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 the industry um, who are always, you know, um, getting the right for the studios and writing amazing scripts. But every time they want to direct something, they're always passed over. Um, that, that, you know, Hollywood likes to keep people in a box and I want to smash the box open. So, you know, a guy like John Esposito, who wrote Stephen King's Graveyard Shift, who was uh, one of the writers and producers on the original Dust Till Dawn for Tarantino and Rodriguez, uh, a guy who won the, uh, he won the um, Writers Guild Award two years in a row for The Walking Dead. This guy uh, cannot get arrested as a director, and it's nuts because he'd be an amazing oh, director. Man. He's great with actors. He speaks the language. He's fantastic. So he's doing a film for us. Bob Kurtzman is actually coming back to do uh, directing a film for Skeleton Crew. So we've got all these incredible people. And so before I ask anybody to do this sort of ultra low thing, I said, all right, I have to be the guinea pig. Like I have to prove that it can be done. And then I don't have a problem asking others to do it. So uh, Secret Santa was born out of that concept. And I also did the film for far less money than I would ever ask anybody else to do it for. Um, but the, the film was conceived on, uh, on Halloween night. This is a true story. Halloween night, 2015. Uh, Deborah and I started writing the next morning. We had a script 20 days later. We spent a month and a half in pre-production. And then I shot the film in 11 nights. Oh, wow. And uh, that's and pretty it is amazing. The movie. Thank you. Yeah, two and a half months. We were we went from the first page written to in the can. Um, and I tell you guys, it is hands down the film I am most proud of of anything I've done. Um, and uh, what's really crazy is, you know, the cast. Uh, it's twenty six people, um, but the main cast is thirteen, and literally there are thirteen people in almost every scene. Now, when you start thinking about 11 nights to shoot a feature film where there are 13 lead characters that all have to be covered, that all have to be shot, um, you start seeing the enormity of a movie like this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, it was crazy. And I'm telling you, I, I have never been so proud. The other part of it is, you know, look, I have been an acting coach uh, in Los Angeles for the past 23 years as well. And um, to that end, I work with every week. I've got a studio that I, that, that I created and I work with um, these remarkable performers, these just brilliant, brilliant performers who are all working actors. You'd know all their faces, right? But they're people who, you know, have three scenes on an NCIS. They're people who have a scene on scandal. They're, you know, those, those kind of actors. And these actors have trained their whole lives to play leads. They haven't trained their lives to play the dead body on the opening of CSI, you know? Um, And so it actually has opened the door for me to be able to cast these incredible artists who much like my friends who are writers who never get to direct, these are actors who never get to star in anything. And suddenly they're getting leads. And what's incredible is, you know, Secret Santa has been killing it on the festival circuit. We just won Best Picture at the Silicon Beach Film Festival in, in Los Angeles last week. Um, but I mean, we've been to Sidges. We've been to uh, Glasgow Fright Fest. We are the only film from Glasgow Fright Fest that has now been invited to be at London Fright Fest in, in August, which is oh, one of the biggest festivals which, on planet yeah. Earth. I'm actually going to be crazy. there for us. I'm very excited Yeah, about that's it. awesome. Yeah. Oh, you'll get to see Secret Santa. You'll, yeah, you'll see in the crowd. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, 
the movie is just kill- we have gotten nothing but rave reviews. The reviews have been in- in- insane. Um, and what's amazing is some of my actors are already booking work off of this movie. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, and that could, you that's the ask point. For more. Exactly. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I have, I have one friend, a guy named Tim Eilers, who we've been friends for, for over 25 years now. And, um, Tim does large scale props for like guardians of the galaxy and, uh, fate of the furious and uh, all these oh. huge movies working on, he's working on, uh, the Jun- Disney jungle cruise movie right now. And, uh, so he does this incredible stuff, all these huge props. Well, Tim is hands down the best composer I've ever met composer of music. Huh. He never gets to do it. He never gets to do that work because you guys know, you know, you fall into a career and then you're doing that job and it's safe. And then you don't have time to explore the thing you really wanted to do in the first place, you know, cause you're comfortable and you're living your life yep. and you're doing your job. And so I called him right before secret Santa started. And I said, dude, you know, do you still want to do music? And he was like, Oh my God, more than anything. <laughs> I'm like, well, come and do this movie for me and I'll make you the company composer. I'll get you as much work as you can handle. And this guy created a soundtrack for Secret Santa that is so remarkable. And again, even like all of our Christmas songs, which, you know, you can have a Christmas song because it's it's public domain, but you have to create your own version of it, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point I said to him, I said, look, Tim, I said, I really want the Mormon Tabernacle version of Joy to the World. And he was like, "Uh uh-huh. He said, "Uh, we can't afford it. I said, no, no, I want you to make it. He's like, do you have a choir in your back pocket? I said, well, in fact, I do. And 14 of my best singers went in, recorded with Tim, and then he quadrupled them. So you have the exact number of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing Joy to the World. (laughs) And I I have a recording that if I played it for you, you'd be like, well, that's a recording of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I'm like, no, it's not. That's the Dan Skippy Theater Works Choir. Oh, that's That's wild. So it's, it, again, it's, it's, it's being, it's having some ingenuity and saying, look, let's, let's do things. Let us go back to sort of Roger Corman style filmmaking right. where it's like, look, you have this much money. You, and, and here's the gift. Here's the money to go make a movie. It's not going to be studio money. It's not going to be the money you might be used to, but you get to tell your story, but just tell it inside of these bounds. That's it. But tell your story. And for me, um, you know, it looked Bob Kurtzman, who did not only did the effects on Jason Goes to Hell, but also um, was my second unit director on that movie. You know, Bob came in and he not only did he do the all the effects on on Secret Santa, which are so badass. Guys, I can't wait for you to see this stuff. But not only do the effects, but he shot second camera for me because Bob's a director. And I was like, dude, you want to be on a camera? He was like, oh, my God, are you actually going to let me shoot something? I was like, yeah, come on, let's do it. You're a filmmaker. you got a great eye. Let's do it. And so literally you have, you know, my cinematographer and Bob Kurtzman and myself all holding cameras on set and getting this movie made. And, you know, that's look, by the way, I had a five person crew on this movie. I had five people to crew the entire film. Wow. In 11 days. (laughs) So that was a labor of love. I'm taking it. It really, it really was. But I got to yeah. tell you, man, it, it 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 felt like no labor at all because wow. I, I was doing something that I love with people oh, yeah. that I'm crazy about. It was like going camping. 
<laughs> you know, it was like, this is the best. This is, and, and it was funny because in the middle of production, Bob Kurtzman came to me. We were six days in and we, you know, we were shooting only nights. So he walks up to me at about 630 in the morning. The, the sun was just coming up. So we were wrapping out. And we're all heading to our bedrooms, right? Because we rented three houses along Big Bear Lake, where we all where we were all living. Bob walks up to me and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, uh, Adam I said, yeah, man. So uh, I just wanted to say uh, thank you. And I was like, what, dude? What are you kidding? Thank you. I, I'm I'm just thrilled you're here. He goes, no, 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 I don't mean that. I don't mean that. He says, so I just wanted to thank you for um, for reminding me what real movie making is. Well. And I'm telling you, man, I have, I had tears in my eyes. And he said, this is, a, this is the most fun and the best experience I've had in a decade. Wow. And this is a guy who's made 400 films. He's worked <laughs> oh, on yeah. 400 movies. And that's the way he feels about this, you know? So I got to tell you, when you let people have some skin in the game, when you let them feel like, you know what, this is your movie too. This isn't, I, I can't stand directors who walk around talking about my film, my film, screw that. No. Films, films are not auteur, are auteur driven. That's nonsense. Films are made by a team of people that if you all believe in the same shared nightmare, the shared dream together, um, it can be, it can be the most extraordinary experience in the world, man. And it's, it's, it's worth more than money. It's, it's life points. It's like, it's like, wow, we are actually making something that we, we love. Uh, that to me is the coolest thing in the world. And then if it can do well in the marketplace, that's a bonus. That's awesome. That's what you want. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm proud of this movie because every time I screen it for people, um, warts and all it's mine. Like I go, that, that's a movie I wrote. That's a movie I directed. That's a movie that the best people I know helped me craft mm -hmm. that movie says something I want to say. And, uh, so that's secret Santa, man. It's, it's, it is, it, by the way, it's a haramity. Um, it is, uh, it is, a, it, it is a horror movie. It is a comedy. It is a really very black comedy, um, pitch black almost. Uh, but it's, uh, it's got a lot on its mind and it's, uh, and it's funny as hell, man. It's funny and gory. Wow. Is it gory? Um, yeah. So that's yeah. uh, definitely definitely a movie from the guy who split the girl up the middle in the tent. <laughs> <laughs> I can't well, wait to see that it movie. Now. Yeah, like Thank I said, uh, thanks. Uh, the, we have a special place here without your head for for uh, Christmas horror movies. What is it about Christmas that uh, that spawns so many uh, horror films? Well, I, you know what it is for me, and <laughs> where Secret Santa really was born from is this idea that. Um, because there's no killer Santa in the movie. It's not a, it's not a Santa, sla Santa slasher, mm -hmm. um, even though I love those movies. Sure. Um, this movie is more about, um, because the, the concept of the film is a family, a very rich family who run a pharmaceutical company, um, getting together for their annual uh, holiday dinner, for their, their Christmas Eve dinner, where they all play a game of Secret Santa with each other. And uh, these people... Um, all like most families all kind of hate each other. They love each other, but they hate each other. <laughs> uh -huh. And at the holidays, you grin and you just, you put up with your racist uncle and you put up with your mother who never likes anything you've ever done. And you put up with the obnoxious brother that has a girlfriend who's way too hot for him. And you want to do her. Um, and you put up with all that stuff. Right. And what if for some reason, everybody started saying what they wanted to say, 
And then suddenly everybody started doing what they wanted to do. <laughs> and that's the movie. And here's the thing. I think the reason why people, why audiences are connecting with it is because there is something universal about that. We go to these holiday gatherings and we're forced to love each other. When the truth is, these are the people that drive us crazier than anybody. They're the ones who installed the buttons. So of course they know how to push them, <laughs> you know? And so I, I think also it's so goddamn cheery. Christmas is so pretty and cheery that if you're a horror fan, you love seeing that get fucked up. <laughs> uh -huh. You love seeing like, you know, I mean, I've literally got, I've got people strangling each other with, with Christmas lights in this movie and trying to murder each other with ornaments. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think there is joy um, in the idea of, of kind of giving Christmas the finger a little bit, um, uh -huh. in that sense that, oh, yeah, 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 we're also in love with each other. No, we're not. <laughs> Fingering Christmas, that could be another title for a movie. <clears throat> so when yep. you, you said it's been doing really well at the, uh, at the uh, festivals, what's that experience like to watch uh, your movie with an audience? Uh, the first time it's terrifying. The first time it's the worst feeling you could ever have. It's all I can imagine. That. Um, the, the, uh, if it goes well, the first time, every, the, every screening after that just becomes more and more fun and awesome and exactly what you, what you want it to be. So, um, yeah, it, it, you know, the first time I watched this movie was in Spain, by the way, I just, I first see this movie in Sitges, which is the first festival it got into. Um, which is, you know, royalty. I mean, it was like, you know, we were right after Guillermo del Toro, for God's sakes. Um, wow. And, uh, and the movie was playing in English with Spanish subtitles. And the audience loved it. I mean, loved it. So I was like, okay, if this movie can play in Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, I think we got something. So for me, um, I always sit in the back of the audience. I always watch. I watch the audience. I don't watch the movie. I watch the audience. Mm -hmm. um, I learned that actually from Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma is the guy who taught me that. And uh, and I got to tell you, man, um, there's nothing I love. Look, it's why I make horror movies and why I make comedies. Those are my two favorite kinds of films because they're audience movies. They're all about an audience reacting and getting excited, watching something together. It's about having this collective dream. And so for me, when I see people giggle or when I see people scream, I'm, I'm never happier than those two things. Like I, I, a good audience laugh or a good audience scream. That's, that's, uh, that's my heroine. <laughs> so, um, after, yeah. I don't know if it's too early to, to answer this, but, uh, after the festival circuit, like, uh, yeah. you know, yet where people will be able to see it. Um, I can't, I can't say specifically, I can tell mm -hmm. you, we are closing a couple of our distribution deals now. Um, uh, so it, it will be out for Christmas time this year. Um, I think it's actually, we're trying to get it out before Thanksgiving because it really works for Thanksgiving as well. Um, so we're trying to get it out before then. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, I think everybody's going to get a chance to see it really soon. It is going to be playing at uh, Fright Fest London. That is, uh, that's the next scheduled screening, mm -hmm. but there are a bunch of festivals that have asked us for the movie. We've already been to about a dozen festivals. Um, so now we're, we're, we're going to be heading to a few more. Um, and, uh, and then it'll be available, uh, late this year. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And I, and I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys know as, as it's happening. Awesome. I'm very excited. Yeah. 
Uh, and where where can you follow uh, Secret Santa? Uh, we can want to say Secret Santa. Uh, where can you follow Secret, uh, Secret Santa? You can follow Secret Santa at secretsantathemovie.com. There's a, a official site for the film. Um, you can also follow uh, on Instagram at Skeleton Crew Pro. Uh, also on Twitter at Skeleton Crew Pro. And you can find uh, me um, at uh, at Adam Marcus thirteen on uh, both Instagram and Twitter. And uh, also, look the the Facebook page for Secret Santa, which is just Secret Santa. Uh, you can follow that on Facebook um, and Skeleton Crew on Facebook. So um, you know we're we're easily found. Um, and I'm of course Adam Marcus at on on Facebook as well. So. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we've got all the handles out there to, 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 to check us out. I love that you guys put up the, uh, the trailer. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I'll put up on the website too. You know, what, what I say to, what I I say to everybody, honestly, is, you know, with, with, especially horror fans, you know, and I, I talk about this when we've been at festival screenings, you know, um, the only way that, that move little movies, little horror movies get a life anymore is if people who see them and love them tweet about them, Instagram mm-hmm. about them, Facebook them, Snapchat, whatever you want, to, whatever your poison, man. And I tell everybody, look, go to the Secret Santa, the movie uh, uh, website, steal artwork, take artwork off our site. It's there for you to take. Um, take artwork off my page, pull my stuff off Instagram, do whatever you like. But talk about the movie. Tell people, you know, I love this film. This is a cool little movie. Go check out. If you love Christmas horror, if you love to laugh, like people need to get behind horror movies, horror fans. Otherwise, all we're going to have is Blumhouse. All we're going to have is studio (laughs) horror. Uh We won't have any kind of nitty gritty, cool little movies, um, you know, filling up our lives with with frights. And, And that's what horror movie fans want. And the only way that happens is, is if people talk it up. Yeah. It's a, one of the, well, obviously I love talking to people on the show and stuff, but, and we get a lot of um, screeners for the, uh, for the show. And honestly, mm-hmm. a lot of them are just, you wonder why, like, uh, not to be me, but you wonder why they're, why they're made. But then when something yep. comes along that, that I really like, and it could be for lots of reasons, it could be a big movie, a little movie, you know, no budget mm-hmm. movie. But if there's something about it, it looks like they had fun making it. It could just be something. But it makes me very excited to do exactly what we said. Tell everyone, hey, check this out. This one is uh, really worth, you know, your time and, and finding. And Especially yep. if it's like yep. a, a smaller movie that not many people know. It's it's exciting to talk about it and, and get it out there and see what other, uh, what other like-minded fans think of it. Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. And that's that, literally that's how we, that's how we survive, uh, doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm definitely yeah, looking we forward. Rely, to it. We I, rely on the fans. Yeah, and it's it is a very cool poster, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it was actually the brainchild of uh, Brian Sexton, of our producer, who did an amazing job with that poster. He really did. It's it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, I like thank the you. font. Sometimes movies awesome. use fonts oh, that I'm not a fan of, but I like the font. Right. <laughs> We've got another, we've got an alternate poster. If you look at my Facebook page, there's an alternate poster that's sort of like uh, the jacket of a Stephen King book uh, with a hand coming out of a package, a bloody hand coming out of a package. Uh, that's pretty awesome. You should try to check that out. It's pretty fun. I think you'll dig it. I will check that out. Um, now they will listen to me scroll here. But I know you have something going on here pretty <laughs> soon. So I do want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been awesome. And I, we'd love to have you back sometime. 
Yeah, I would love it. Uh, you guys are amazing. This is this is a great this is a great conversation. Really great guys. Very cool. So uh, thanks again for doing this. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's Brittany, bitch. Here once again at the station of decapitation without your head. And I'm still Leslie Neal. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And a big thanks to Adam Marcus. Uh, I thought it was this amazing guest. Super, super cool guy. I, I just, I loved listening to his stories and just uh, seems like a hell of a cool guy. Yeah. And I'm I really think like you'll a- have a good time. Yeah. Meeting up with him. Yeah. It's really weird how that, uh, how that works out. Yeah. So uh, Jason goes to hell. There. Mm-hmm. 
And I've told the story many times watching it and laughing and stuff. And I'm and it's wild to to think about this that you know I grew up watching you know horror movies and I have a I have a very you know distinct memory of seeing Jason Goes to Hell with with our mutual friend Joey. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now years later to talk to the man who made the movie. I know that's wild too. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's very cool. And uh, I honestly did have a good time watching the uh, Jason Goes to Hell. It's crazy, and it made oh, me yeah. laugh. Oh, you were just telling me that earlier today. That's just, it's just so funny. Like uh-huh. a lot and of the I, things he brought up. Yeah, and I had stuff in my in my notes. Like, why does this happen? And he just and he just brought it right up about yeah. the shaving because I had I had that specific moment. Yeah, and he's like, because years later people asked you why, so I didn't bother asking. <laughs> And there's there's this crazy dialogue like Creighton says uh, they're asking Creighton about um, about Jason and like well what is what does that make me think and he says like that makes me think of a little girl sticking a hot dog through a donut and I'm like what in the hell does that mean sounds kind of dirty and weird mm-hmm. and awesome all at the same time and it got your attention it did indeed exactly what he said it is not a movie you'll forget. Yep. Good or bad, you will not forget it. Yep. So yeah, it is one that um, I don't know. I think I like it better now after uh, well after talking about like it. Oh yeah. yeah. I liked it better watching it again uh, last night. I was like, this is just you just gotta. It's a movie you gotta watch and just say I'm going with this. Uh huh. And if you just go with it, you're gonna have a good time. And I can't wait to see it again then. Yet I watch it this time with the knowledge of the the whole Deadite thing. Yep, yep. And before, like, because I hadn't seen it for a while, and I was thinking, you know, like some of the people who I would say he made it up, I was just like, I don't know about that. I thought maybe they just stuck the props in there for the help. But then watching <laughs> it again, yeah. I was like, oh, there, you know, there is something to this. That there's a reason that it's there, huh? Yeah. And then the whole when they're dragging Jason to hell, it is very it is very evil deadish. There's puppets and I do remember that scene. Yeah. So it it's very interesting. Uh it's too it, I would like to see it. Ash for Jason. It works. Oh, yeah. It works. It's too bad that they never did because uh, Okay, see exactly what we just talked with them about. If you have Jason versus Freddy, it's just two villains fighting each other. And, okay, that's interesting in a way, but, like, well, you know, you can't just have, like, an hour and a half fight scene. Yep. Well, you learn that with the old Universal ones. Right. You know, when they had, like, you know, uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, yep, exactly. You know what? And that movie worked better on the little 8-millimeter film we had of it. It sure did. Yep. Because it was when you just try to cram it into like an hour and a half, it's like wow, awful lot of filler in this, man. Exactly, exactly. But if you put Ash in it, then yep. you have someone who you're rooting for, oh, and that makes you know who's trying to beat the villains. No matter what, there is a, an element to basic storytelling where you have the protagonist and the antagonist. Yep, absolutely. When you mess with that, it's uh, you have to be very, very clever. Or really, it's just not going to work. There's a reason why basic storytelling has lasted, you know, throughout time. Yep. And why, you know, this 
reboot for, from Universal will never work because <laughs> right. they have never learned this. And there's something always to be said, I think, about people who love the genre. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, maybe and you this... shouldn't underestimate those people. No, at the very least, I think they're going to have fun with it. Yep. And there's something, I think there's something you said about watching them. You might not even think it's that great, but if you could tell they're like having fun with it, it oh, does yeah. add something. Yep. That means a lot. And, you know, when you can, when you can feel that, when you can just tell right away. Because it's kind of like the opposite of, you can watch the ads for, um, what are those awful, um, oh, uh, 50 Shades of Grey. Right. And you watch the ad and you can tell that like the people involved don't even like each other. They don't want to be in the same room as each other. You get this like awful vibe. Not only are these people not lovers, they don't like each other. And there's it, no chemistry. This, yeah, this uncomfortable vibe. And it's like, why would I ever watch this movie? Just like feeling bad for these people just watching the trailer. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's just but... the polar opposite, you know, when mm-hmm. you're talking about things like, like that. Yeah, I can't say those movies have ever interested me, so I've never seen any no, of them. Oh, no, I haven't I've never, I've never read the book. It is weird to think, like, uh, you know, 2018 now, you know, grow, zombies are totally acceptable. Yep. As a kid, you know, you're only like a real weirdo like zombie movies. Now it's just like you could go buy a kid's t-shirt with zombies on it. Oh, you yeah, can, I've seen kindergarten kids with zombie t-shirts. Yeah. You can buy dolls that are that are poop. Yep. You can buy That's stuff true. poop dolls. And, you know, in uh, bondage, this is in, in mainstream movies. <laughs> there's, a, there's a series of movies that are Big Hollywood films that are bondage love stories. Yep. It's very strange. And pretty dull looking, too, those. Movies. Oh, yeah, it doesn't look exciting at all. <laughs> yeah. It really did like a world of hurt for, for us bondage freaks, man. So what's next? What's, like, the next taboo? Um, Let me see. Well, they did the, you know, hey, I'm in love with the sexy vampire thing. Mm-hmm. And then, I think they even tried that with an alien, and the movie made like a dollar. I can't remember what it was, but it was another series of books that I don't think really found their audience. They made the movie of it, and I don't think it did well at all. So, if you were into that, you know, my... My young lover is a is an alien. I'm afraid you've probably mm. got your feelings hurt. Damn. Yep. Maybe cannibals. Now cannibals. That's that's one like unexplored. I think so far. I mean, they do have that Netflix show. I've not watched it. The um. Oh yeah, the something diet, right? Yeah, Santa Clara diet. Yep. And it's got some like big actors in it, so maybe that's the next thing to tackle. All then right. they'll just they'll just make that just run of the mill. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, oh, not another cannibal movie. Yeah, like, God, man, boring, bored of the cannibals. Yep, you can't like you know flip past the preview gap without seeing twenty different cannibal movies and shows. Uh, 
It'll just be like a. Then what will happen? Then what it would be after that? It'd be just like people eating shit. I. It could be. <laughs> yeah. What'll be the the new trend in a few years? Man, Everything worse. else will be passe. Except for clowns. Like, you still won't be able to dress like a clown at Halloween. Yeah. I I think, though, it, I want to make a movie where the clown is the hero. The clown's like a good guy. The The priest is 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 uh, is a good man. Yep. And, and the Santa Claus isn't a drunk. Yep. yep. People are like, man, this is edgy. I've never seen this before. That's true. You're breaking all these taboos now. It would be probably the opposite. Like, oh, look at this. You know, he's kissing ass to the priest. But I don't think it's edgy anymore to portray. And I'm not a religious guy, but I don't think it's edgy to portray religion in a bad light. Because yep. it's never portrayed in a good light. No, when's the last like time? Yeah. There's never a good priest. You know, he's either no. a pedophile, a killer. At the very best, he's like a, a drunken pervert. Yep. That's like the best you can hope for. That's true. You're right. You're right. I think, what was it? The Exorcist? Was that the last good priest in a movie? Yeah, that's probably true. And then he gets and then he gets killed. But he was a good guy. Yeah, then he's all messed up. Like, Sacrificed you know, himself. Yeah. That was 40, what, 50, almost 50 years ago? Yeah. Yep. So you got to go back. You got to go back a ways to find a mm-hmm. good priest. Yeah. God, who was the last good clown somewhere? I don't know if there's ever been. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe it was the clown. Yeah. Even Ronald, you know, they can't even show Ronald McDonald anymore. Even if he tries to be a good clown, they're like, hey, you're trying to fatten up the kids. Now, that's a movie. I just love a movie. I'm liking that. You have the clown. Now, it's going against what I just said. Okay, so it's going to be about an evil clown. But it's a clown. Who fattens up the kids with his burgers because he wants to eat them? Oh, yeah, but now you're going back to the evil clown. I know. I went against what I just said. I know. Oh, how about this? What if he's a good clown, but he's being used by by evil? So the clown could still be the hero because he doesn't know this. He thinks he's just out there and he's representing, you know, Jones Boys Burgers. Yep. Yep. You're like, we want you, you know, Clowny McClown, to be Jones Boys Burgers mascot. It's a very original idea to have a, a clown, you know, uh, uh, be the mascot for a hamburger truck. <laughs> yep, yep. He's like, okay, guy, sure. So he's out there, and, he, and he's doing it. And slowly he starts to think there's something shady going on here. And then he finds out that he his clowndom is being used to bring the kids in because the Jones Boys Burgers... Is all about fattening up the little tykes because they're they're it's run by a cannibal organization who likes to eat children. Little That's true. I'm liking this. That's a great idea. So then he's appalled, and then he finds his buddy the his buddy Santa, and and yeah. his uncle his uncle his priest uncle is a good guy, and then they've got to fight the Jones Boys Burgers who are eating children, maybe even molester. That's why that's why the priest is involved. He's he's going to kill the molesters. That's right, yeah, because they've, you know, somebody was like, hey, man, let's just blame the priest. There you go. And he's like, wait a minute, man, I, I, I never did that. I'm a nice guy. I believe in the Lord. I'm doing his work. I'm doing, you know, good things. And they're like, bullshit, because you're a priest, so there's no way that can be true. 
Mm-hmm. Same thing with the same thing as Santa. When's the last time a Santa hasn't been a, a fall down drunk? Oh yeah, it's, it's unless it's just person. chopping people up. Yeah. God, even way back at Strange Places, Dan Aykroyd. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you're gonna go on like Miracle on. Uh, Jesus, then we're going back. That's like black and white. The thirties, yeah. yeah. You'll, you ne- can find a good Santa. It's never been like a happy Santa in color. No, God no. So there we go, people out there. Those yep. are our ideas. <laughs> and we're fiercely proud of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, big thanks to to Adam. And if he's listening and wants to use those ideas, he can hook us uh, your call up. We'll talk. Yep. But uh, also, uh, music of the month here this month is Goth Brooks. Thanks to them, those guys. Very cool. Nice. It's my first show back, Neil, in I think three weeks. I know. Miss you. you as well. So I had a good time in Texas, Troy. Oh, I bet you did. I bet it was a good time. Mountains of barbecue. That's awesome. I drank way too much with Jason Mitten, who's a bad influence on me. <laughs> it's weird. It's I think Kentucky he's... connection, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. I think he started drinking from listening to the show. And then he became like a raging alcoholic, and then like was a, so it's like I influence the person that would would uh, improperly influence me. Well, that's so like yeah, that's karma. kind of poetic justice. Yeah, yeah. Weird how it works out. But uh, Jason met the good guys. Friend Jeff's a good guy, and Rita, she's a good girl. We had a good time in Texas. Uh, it was cool meeting up with uh, Maz. I'd seen her for a while, and Derek well, Neal. Uh, Joseph San Jose and a lot of people came up and said hello and took pictures. Tag me in those pictures. Absolutely. And I hate to say this, but if you meet me at a convention, introduce don't kick yourself. You in the balls. Well, don't kick me in the balls. Don't spit in my eye. All right. Don't stab me. This is good advice, and this probably works for most uh, guests or right. people you meet. And introduce yourself because. I, I, I'm not trying to be a big shot because I'm not, but I, I don't know all 4,980 of my Facebook friends. What? I, I don't know you. I might not know you by sight. Your picture uh, might be like a little squiggle or something. I don't know. Come up and say, hey, this is, you know, Billy Bob. And I'll be like, hell yeah, Billy Bob. What's going on? Yep. So like, remember hey. this for England. Exactly. Exactly. So if you see the nasty one, go up, introduce yourself, and buy him a drink. Yeah. I'm a, I like to drink. Yeah. So there's a lot of controversy about this movie, Troy. Oh, what movie? The House That Jack Built. Okay, I'm, I'm naive to this. Yeah, I really didn't know anything about it either until... Uh, Apparently, like, there was um, people walking out at gay cons. They were like, ah, this is too gross and awful, and it was left. Is, is this about, like, a, a serial killer? Is that this? Yeah, one? yeah. Oh, Matt okay. Damon. Matt Dillon, I'm sorry. Matt Dillon, yeah, who I haven't seen in anything in, in a long time. I thought yeah. Matt Dillon was a very good actor, too, but just so kind of disappeared. People, people that I like, I, I'm not saying anything against them. They're saying... 
they don't like this guy's movies normally. Not not, not uh, Matt Dillon, but Lars von Trier because they said he's a he's a misogynist. And, like he likes mm-hmm. to you know you know hurt women and and present women as you know terrible beings and and all this stuff. So reading all this stuff, I'm like, my God, what what kind of fiend is this man? And then so I, I watch a trailer. I'm like, oh, this looks good. I want to see this movie. Does that make you a misogynist? By uh... I don't know. I, I and it's weird because I like these people are saying this, so I don't want this to come off rude to them. Uh, I mean, I just need to, to, to explain to me because if you have a horror movie, can you not kill women in the horror movie? And you're killing the... most people in that horror movie, or yeah. or at least some people in your horror movie. When, when does a horror movie go from just being a horror movie to being a misogynist horror movie? Is it better if you kill kids? So it's like better because like he's only killing kids. Because then I was reading the, a thing about um, re, um, revenge, which I thought was a great movie. It's a re, it's a rape revenge movie, yep. and that's getting the reverse. People are saying it's very empowering to women, and I don't get why some aren't, some aren't. Maybe I'm just dumb. I don't know. But why <laughs> is revenge about a woman who gets raped? By by a dude and another guy just watches doesn't care and the other so three guys are in on this decide to kill her just to get they'd rather just Whoa. kill her than bother it she doesn't die she goes back gets revenge why is that not misogynist because she does get the revenge I I don't know and there and then when I was reading this article that they're saying it was good they were saying one of the good things about it is that she maintains her sexuality through the movie. So she doesn't lose her, her sexuality after being raped and beaten and, and, uh, and uh, attempted murdered. And I, was like, I, that, I might be calling that's, bullshit that's on that one. I, I don't think that worse. can be possible. Yeah, because they're like, well, look at that ass. I'm like, well, I don't know. I think that's worse in a way. Like, this, they, you'd make, you'd, you know, you'd have these people, you know, uh, you know, rape her and beat her and also. And then at the same time, you're still wanting people to check out her ass. <coughs> Excuse me. That's just, I think that's weird. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And I had no problem with the movie. I actually thought it was a great movie, but the article that was defending it and saying it, it wasn't misogynist, I didn't understand. And I, and I'm not saying that they're right or wrong. I, I want someone to explain it to me. I am not that person to explain to you because I really don't know. I don't. I don't get. It. I. I mean. I don't. I don't know. How, like, I like dark movies, and yep. and usually a lot of times in, in the horror movies, the killer is the man, and and they go. But almost always, the woman is alive at the end and is victorious. And why? And and the thing. And the well, the bottom line is though, it's the it's the villain of of the story. So if the uh-huh. villain is doing something terrible. Maybe he is misogynist because he's the villain. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense within the story that the villain would be doing something heinous? You don't want the yeah, villain to I be like th- an upstanding man. I don't think the villain's normally too righteous and, you know, trustworthy just by the very fact that they're the villain. Right. Now, I could see if they made a movie and the hero of the movie is just going around raping people. <laughs> Yeah, that would be kind of weird. That would well, be different, though. Now I can understand people like, well, what is this? Yep. 
he's like a woman beater and no nah, i could get that i'd be like oh that's pretty weird oh I don't really think that's the good thing to condone a <laughs> character trait. But a character trait of the villain should be something negative. Oh, yeah. You want him to be vile and, you know, something you can root against. Because if, right. if your villain's too cool, then you, you know, you're kind of so, drawn towards him. And then right. and then, then, then I could see the argument, well, but they make him, char- they make him charismatic and maybe kind yeah. of. But I know, I think. I think a lot of real life villains are. Oh yeah, that's why people follow them. Yep, that's why people. A lot of serial killers. That's how they got their victims because they were like they seemed like good people. Yep. Well, yeah, I don't know. armless at the very least. Right, right. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't really get the misogynist. Uh, I've not seen the movies. So I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it is. I haven't seen. But I saw a trailer. It looked very good. They might, my only yeah. experience with any other movie by Lars von Trier, Trier, Trier was um, Antichrist, and I can't say I liked it. I haven't seen it. Can't say I liked it. I really wanted to like it. It looked very good. Uh, and that's the only Willem other Dafoe. one that you've seen? Mm-hmm. I love Willem Dafoe. I don't oh, have yeah. a problem with dark movies that are they have no happiness. I don't have a problem with that. But uh, I just find it very boring. Oh, okay. And I think it was kind of just an, a big setup for this one horrendous scene that I never needed to see. <laughs> I don't know. Your description's probably better than the movie itself. Some people love it. I, I don't know. I don't. But that I mean I've seen I've seen other directors who have made movies I didn't like and movies I did like so uh, right. well I, I want to see this as the bottom line yeah looks good and like I said I'm I'm happy to see Matt Dillon in in a role yeah so it's like then, Matt Dillon and then there's Mike Carey just says I don't see the big deal either way he's like oh, it's, he cares of the soldiers and I think the movie looks like shit so I don't know oh okay <laughs> so he's kind of pragmatic on this whole thing uh huh. Yeah, it says it's uh, like he's like he tortures women in the movie, but I I mean I don't know. He's a villain. I, I don't I don't know. And is it based off a real life character? I I don't know about that. Oh okay. I don't think so, but oh all right, maybe it's maybe it's not. Yeah, I don't know though. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, Henry's portrait of a serial killer. Oh yeah. Pretty- a pretty, you know, depressing. Oh, it's a bleak movie. Yeah, there's not really any upside. There's no upside. No, no, there isn't, and nothing redeemable about the character. Oh, you can feel bad for him in a way, you know, points, and I do. Oh yeah, but uh, but he ends up killing, you know, everyone in the movie, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's kind of an asshole, you know. Uh... Yeah, and I still love the movie. That was a great movie. Yeah. Not not all movies have to have happy endings. No. I don't know. I, I'm just confused by this. And I don't want a, a world where like the villain can't be villainous. Right. Like right. what kind of movie? What kind of villain are we gonna have in a movie? Yeah, that like, would make for a pretty dull flick. I think. Like Cheetah Parcheesi. That could be. That's not a great setup for a movie. Dirty dog. 
Like the the recut of, of Star Wars, Darth Vader will just be like cheating at checkers with Obi Wan Kenobi. God, don't get many ideas. They might do that. You don't want him killing anybody. Well, killing's pretty dark. It is. It is. Well, that's never seen as a bad thing. It's like you you could kill whoever you want, but if you rape someone or torture them, then it's it's cross a, a line. <laughs> yeah. He's a fucking killer to begin with. He's not a good guy. Yeah. yeah, but I guess that's better than if he's mean to women. Yes. I don't know. I don't want to watch. I mean, I'm not saying I want to watch movies that are just, you know, women are getting beat and stuff. But uh, I think, you know, whatever the story is called. You're not a big proponent be... of just beating up women. No, huh? no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, it's. Just, I don't think, though, that it should only... only Grown men should be killed in movies either. I mean, <laughs> yep. Kind of odd. So, uh, well, let's get off women being. All right. Quite a happier subject. We'll pick it up next week. Uh, I'm so trying to think, What was our last movie we saw, Neil? Uh, Avengers. Oh, okay. Um, if anybody hasn't seen the uh, Avengers 3 yet, go out and see the damn movie. If they haven't seen it by now, they probably just don't want to see it. That's true. I mean, it's made, what, like a billion right. and a half worldwide? It's number five all time? Mm-hmm. Go see the movie. Yeah. And then there'll be people out there, oh, I don't want to see it. superhero movies are dying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Then you, well, you get old, grumpy directors saying that, you know. I don't. Oh, it's trend over with. Okay. Why you does didn't that make st- enough billions? So yeah, well, why does that stop him from making some movie? I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that, like, who was it? Was that Cameron? Yeah. Why can James Cameron not make? I'm pretty sure James Cameron could walk in and say, "Hey, I want to make a movie," and they're like, "Well, here's three hundred million dollars." Oh yeah, yeah. I think he's pretty safe on that one. So I don't know why he has to like worry about what other movies are popular. It's like, uh-huh. worry about your own stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I don't see why, you know, Avengers stops him from making Avatar 2. Uh, somewhere in his own weird mind, I guess. I don't get it. Uh, maybe he can explain it. Not just be a bum. <laughs> nah, so, I just come off as a grumpy old bastard. I did catch some flack because I actually I thought it was a great movie. I'm not going to say I didn't think it was great. I really enjoyed myself. Uh huh. I had two problems with the with the movie in general. Yep. Uh, one thing is, and I have a problem with in in well, both those things are things I have a problem with in movies. Uh, I uh, the the scene with all the the monsters running in, I find boring. Just okay. I don't. Uh, I think Where they're uh, coming into Wakanda. Yeah. Anytime there's a this happens. It happened in the first Avengers. I didn't like the end of the first Avengers for the same reason. Is um, in other movies. Um, uh, last last. Uh, I am Legend. Uh, there's been movies where there's when there's like a faceless horde of monsters that really that just keeps coming and coming. I I just get bored by that. It's just uh-huh. by me personally. So I didn't like that that particular scene. But it's not a, it's not the whole movie. And the one part I did have a problem with, and it's not the character, because I think the character is great. Mm-hmm. The performance is great. 
and not even all all of his CG, but uh, there was some. There was a lot of stuff with Thanos that took me out of the movie because <coughs> I thought it looked very fake, and the most of it was um, the smaller scenes, just like of him picking up gems and stuff, and the fingers and the hands just looked very fake to me. <coughs> <clears throat> which um, it's not a huge detriment, but it did take does take me out when when there's CG that to, to me doesn't look good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I didn't even really notice. I there was just so much going on, and I was just so like into the movie. Mm-hmm. I just didn't even notice. Yeah, I still think it's a great movie. By yep. no means do I think it's a bad movie or anything like that. Uh, I was just like, it's just, uh, just maybe it's nitpicking, but it's something I did notice. But, but that being said, because mm-hmm. I I didn't want to be fair, because I did say that the the CGI villain in um in the DC movie there looked looked very bad because he's all CG. So I wanted to be fair, and I, I a dark not dark side um oh Stephen, uh, yeah Stephen. So I didn't feel it would be fair to me then to say. Well, not to say anything about Thanos because I felt similarly about him. But that being said, he's a uh, infinitely better villain, yeah. ca- better character. He's better. Uh, the performance is better. He's a he's a more drawn out character. He's like a real a real character with you know with with layers and yeah. uh, so I don't want to say like that are the same because they're definitely not right. Just right. Uh, just the technical part. And it's a, a bazillion times better movie. I'll never like watch I said, I, oh God, no! But I, I can't even say you know like that you're incorrect because I, I just honestly did not notice you know, with with, with Thanos. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that though, I just a uh, great movie. It was um, they've done something that everyone else has, has tried to do. No one's ever done before. I don't think. I don't think anyone's ever going to really pull it off. After, is to take so many characters and so many movies, uh, intermix them, and then bring them all together. I don't. It's never been done in anything. It's pretty. It is pretty wild to watch and see. Oh yeah, it's just to me. It's just like, you know, like people use the word epic a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't know of anything any more epic. Than like the tale that like so far the Marvel Studios have told, I mean, and that's including Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or any of that jazz. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, like you said, doing like these individuals, and I, I think Adam said it too, like where they piece together everything, where everything fits, everything meshes. Nothing's like, hey, wait a second, this guy just did this completely opposite thing three movies ago mm-hmm. you know this isn't like this character at all and it it's just i love the continuity and it just like this movie just blew my mind i i just i never thought i think when i when i was reading the old jim starlin comics um that i'd ever see maybe even an animated thing. I, I just don't think like I, I ever thought that they could physically make something like this, mm-hmm. you know, and tell such, such an epic tale that, you know, in the comics stretched over like every Marvel comic months for months. 
um, and to do it well, you know, where it was coherent and like you could, you know, where the story wasn't just so convoluted, you, you know, you'd be lost, you know, mm-hmm. uh, unless you had read the comics. Mm-hmm. It's so, uh, and Marvel's done a great job of making, you have your core characters that everyone knew going into these movies, like Hulk and Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and then, like, guys that were kind of a little bit under the Iron Man, I don't, before Iron Man, I wouldn't say Iron Man's, like, household name, but I think no. fairly well-known, you know what I mean, for, yeah. but then you get to, like, really weird characters, like Ant-Man and... and Doctor Strange Doc, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, Thanos. I doubt anyone besides uh, besides uh, comic book fans would know who Thanos was, you know, right. a Absolutely. few years ago. And uh, you see, take all these these characters and you've made them, uh, some are iconic now. Like Iron Man has moved up from like a pretty well-known comic book character to an iconic character. Oh, yeah. He's pretty much the poster boy for Marvel now. Yeah, and you know, and, and same thing with Thor and yep. Captain America, and uh, and then like I said, even these lesser known, like I never even heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, I'm <laughs> right. not like a huge uh, comic book, but you've been but, around you know, I, them, yeah. yeah. And to take to create, you're lucky to create one like iconic character. Mm-hmm. If you, you do, if you create one, you know, iconic character, that's huge. Oh, but yeah. to create like uh, um, a bunch of them. And then also to create like a bunch of like super well known people now and marketable characters. That's just insane to, to think about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought it was possible like years ago. Mm-hmm. But well, actually, before they did it, you would have been like, no, this can't happen. Yeah, so it's been a, it's been a really wild thing to watch, especially, uh, you know sounds not to sound corny but kind of watching it through my brother's eyes because i know how big of a a fan troy's been of uh, marvel comics ever since we were little kids and to to see like just to to come about and i've enjoyed uh, i've enjoyed all of them because even the ones i don't like as much i still i wouldn't say we're like awful or no right right still uh, worth watching yeah and then to see him through you know like troy looks like a little kid when you go to see these movies oh i definitely do I, it's one of those things. And I think that's why over the years, I've always been so hypercritical about like, you know, like the early Marvel movies and like, cause I was so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, they're making a Spider-Man movie. They're making X-Men. These are going to be great. And then I saw them and it was such a huge letdown. It's like, wow. They just, they let somebody, that didn't have like a comic book feel make these movies and it's so showed. And now it's like, okay, you can tell that all the cinematic universe stuff, you know, including the Netflix stuff are all like people that really have a feel for the comics and, you know, they can flesh out the people more, but it still has that like, comic soul to it mm-hmm. you know whether it's daredevil or or like you know the avengers and stuff and it's just it makes me so happy just to sit back and enjoy it now yeah so that's uh that's awesome and uh, i've uh i saw i think all the marvel netflix shows renewed i don't know if i don't think they mentioned iron man or defenders but they uh i know um 
Punisher's come back for the second season. Um, Power Man, Luke Cage. Oh yeah, uh, I saw the Daredevil and yeah, they were all on the the renewed uh, thing. I did see uh, some stuff has been canceled though. Uh, The Exorcist was canceled. Oh, was it? I never got into catch up with. Yeah, I I watched the first couple episodes and I thought it was okay. I liked some of the people in it. Yeah, there's some about I really didn't like too good. Like I, I didn't, I didn't like hate it, but I, I wasn't really big on it. And I know people said like I should have kept watching because I think something big happened after I stopped watching. And I, well, I meant to go back to it, but I might not now since it's been canceled. I hate, right. especially if it doesn't have like a definitive ending. I hate to go and check it out. Yeah, I made uh, that mistake with the mist. I started watching that after yeah. it already canceled, and then. Although I gotta say, like it turned out not to be one of my favorite things. I thought it was okay, but yeah. But later on, it got a little. I don't know. I, I think they did such a good job with the movie, mm-hmm. and this one they veered from that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I guess it doesn't matter since that that'll be it for that show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I watched your first episode. I dug it. Uh, I didn't think it was like it didn't blow me out of you know like it didn't blow my mind or something. But right. I thought it seemed pretty good. But uh, yeah. for whatever reason, I didn't watch more of it. So it must not have been too great for me to. But uh, what I saw of it though, it looked like it would be good. Yeah, it, yep. it seems I... like such a perfect story to to do a show about. Yeah, yep. I think they veered too much from like the. The story and like the the first movie, and they went a little. Uh, they went a little too much into like um, there were spirits in the mist and things. Mm-hmm. Oh, where really? I think it's just better to have like you know it's just an opening to like another dimension kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Instead of a supernatural. Yeah, just simplify it. I think. I think you know keeping it simple would have been better. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered, well, what is it about um, other dimensions that people think like there's giant bugs? That's a good question. You're right. What if there's any like scientific reason, or if it's just something people think of for the hell? Yeah, of it? just an unnatural fear that people have. I don't uh, know. That's a good question. Because uh, I know when, uh, oh god, the guy, the guy in the wheelchair died not too long ago. Oh, yep. Um, yeah, he, can't think of his name. He's always against, you know, trying to find other... He, I mean, the, the scientists just say there are other dimensions. Now, it, does that mean that there's monsters in... You, you know, who knows, but... God, he always said... So. You know, he always warned, to, you know, not to not to mess with it, because it's probably not going to be good. Yeah. Well, if any of that stuff, if there's, like, any, you know, notion at all of truth to it, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I think it'd probably be a good idea to avoid that shit. Mm-hmm. So uh, they also canceled the uh, Lucifer, which is a show I, I I had no interest in, I have to say. But uh, <laughs> I know some people dug it. Yeah, our mom liked that. I think. Yeah. Uh, the Purge is becoming a TV show. Is it? Mm-hmm. I wonder it's if weird. they'll be able to keep that going for like a whole series. Well, it's weird because what is going to be a, a series about one night over and over? <laughs> I know, I, yeah, or maybe different events during that night. I, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. 
It's uh I always thought the purge is a it's a great idea. Yep. But I've never I, I the first movie I thought was not very good at all. Yeah, I didn't dig it either. Thought they had such a big idea and then they made it so small. It just was a uh, home invasion movie. Yep. The second one I have to admit I've not seen. I did finally see uh Purge Election. Which oh, I was, was the best one. It's better than the first one, but it's, I don't know, it's still not that good. Yeah. Still not that good. It was better. Yep. It's a better main movie. I like that it's a bigger in scope. Um, I don't know, it's, it still wasn't that good. Uh, yeah, someday I'll have to watch the rest of them. I've only ever watched the first one. Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, it didn't move me. Yes, it's not very good. So Sane would be a, a 10-hour series about one night with a bunch of different stories that are interwoven. So oh, okay. uh, that could work. I don't. Yeah, know. that might be kind of neat then. Yeah, yeah, that would work. So one season's about one year, one, year, one day. Oh, you know. okay. Oh, that would work. Gives you more room to tell, you know, more stories of that night. Yep. Which yep. I think that, that I, I don't think about it as a hell because I think the idea of it you really should have more stuff going on because it's over to the whole country. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, the Suspira remake is re- is uh, set to release November 2nd. Oh, nice. That should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Their the poster blows, not to say, but, I mean, uh, that doesn't really mean a lot. Right. It's, it's very, it's a weird movie to remake because it's very stylized. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know like is do you keep it stylized and is it a movie where if you just remake it just for the story is it really worth remaking is it because yeah the story's cool but it's the movie's really more about just uh, like the cool lighting yeah and the music and not I mean the the, the I don't story's know if there the too the story's but. gonna hold up by itself though. It's very, I mean, you'd have, you either have to keep it in this weird time and place or you update it. And I don't know, I don't know, is there, is there like a a way to update that? Is there a place like that anymore where like people go to like a, you know, a ballet school and like they're, they're all kept in, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. Then you have stuff like cell phones. Mm Mm-hmm. Cell phones do ruin movies. I, I, I stand by this. I think if you could, I think if you make movies just to make a movie, uh, either a time, it's a time where there are no cell phones, or it's just a universe where time phones don't, uh, cell phones don't exist because they ruin everything in a horror yeah, movie. Yeah, that's like, true. Just pull it out. Oh, this movie's over. I'm calling the cops. Yeah, either that or you get you know the typical oh my I can't get service in this area you know yeah then it's a scene I don't care about yeah I really hate scenes of people on cell phones in movies I don't know why I just hate it <laughs> yeah I I can see that Ugh. it kind of takes you out of it and yeah and it's so like it's usually really like you know stuck in there like a really hacky scene about why the phone doesn't isn't working yeah they always kind of seem to go a little overboard with that yeah it's like having the cars not start in like any modern movie it's like 
When yeah. does this ever happen? Yeah, it really doesn't. Oh, it's kind of like I, I think I'd rather have, like, I think I've gone back to this before in um, in the one season of Sherlock when at the end of, uh, I think it's at the end of season two, and not to spoil anything, but um, you see Sherlock, like, die, and so they don't even bother explain it everybody's got their own explanation so the beginning of season three starts out with everybody oh well see what sherlock did was and everybody tells this big story and you never really find out how he didn't die it's just kind of like okay we know he didn't die here he is so let's just move on from there and i thought it was kind of brilliant you know because it's like no matter what you do it's going to be a goofy explanation and Mm -hmm. You know, so don't even bother. And that's what they did, and I'll give them props for that. Yeah, yeah. Did they think that was just the end of the show, that they killed them off? Why did they do that? Um, you know, that's a good question. Maybe maybe they did. Maybe they did uh, (laughs) think that it was going off, but but it's just cool, because the whole whole thing is just like, uh, everybody has their own um, uh, theory you know it's like oh well see Sherlock had a blank in his gun and then when this happened you know like so everything kept going like that I thought that was really cool and then they didn't overuse it so like later on um, there's a thing with Moriarty where you think he's coming back and you saw him actually die and then you find out that it really isn't you know Mm -hmm. Moriarty's not really coming back because that would be an even bigger leap of faith, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Rabbit, uh, which the Sasuke sisters are remaking. From oh, yeah. Uh, they just announced that their leading lady will be Laura Vandervoort. Who, uh, I'm not I'm not really familiar with, but uh, but uh, a lot of people are very happy about this. A big uh, Canadian actress. Oh, okay. See, I but think- I think that one is, is much better. It kind of goes... Like with what we talk about sometimes about why remake some movie that's great, mm-hmm. you know, that everybody loves. That movie's not great. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I watched it recently. I can't say I really liked it. No, no. So that's okay. Remake yeah. that. Cause Plus, you I don't probably think make a better movie. I think unless you're a big Cronenberg fan, you probably don't even know the movie. Yeah. I don't think it's like a... It's well known amongst like hardcore horror fans, but I don't think it's like a, a movie that most people would know if you're talking no. about. So and when you should. remake, yes, yeah, so if you remake that, I don't think a lot of people have, you know, this big connection to it. I hope not. And if you do, you got problems because it's not a very good movie. Yeah, I gotta say, I really didn't care for the film. Yeah, I just remember the chick's armpit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a penis. Like it's weird. Yeah, it's it's tweet it's kind of a, like a reverse rate movie yeah yep it definitely is so i think i re- honestly do think you could do a good version of it today oh yeah kind of have it set uh with some of the things of today because there's also a lot of creepers in the movie oh really yeah they just kind of creep on her but you know oh, okay kind of rapey and then she kind of gets to kills him so i don't i think there's some stuff you could do with that today uh 
I have to admit, there's I I'm not really a big fan of Cronenberg movies, and uh, that's oh, kind of blasphemy. Yeah, I think um, I don't think there's a good. I don't think you feel connected to any character in his in his movies for the most part. They everyone seems like alien. Like there's not there's all yeah, there's not really a lot no of humanity. Likeable, you know, no, uh, except for his later movies. I, I like his later movies, like uh, History of Violence. Oh, okay. Yep, I forgot that was even him. Yeah, I don't like a lot of his older movies. I know a lot uh, of people love them, and that's totally fine. But oh yeah, even, yep. even Scanners, which I think has great scenes, and I think um, Irons Michael Ironside's amazing in the movie. Oh yeah, but I, I don't, I don't think it's a good movie. And and oh. even though we had him on the show, I I think a lot of it is is the the leads not good in it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, just uh, it's I don't know. I, I don't I know what it is about that movie. I like the, the mo- concept a lot better than the movie. Yeah, the most interesting character is Mike Lionside, and and he's oh, the one that God. you you feel the most for. I think. Yep. Yep. But he's the villain. Yep. I don't know. I think it, it would have been more about him. I think. I don't know. I just I've never I've never been into the movie. Nah, me either. And I hate the fly. I. I loathe that movie. Yeah, a lot of people really... Uh, I've never been into it either. This is kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of a gross out for the sake of grossing people out movie. Nah, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's silly to me. Yeah, I, I liked Videodrome as a kid. I have no idea how that holds up. Me either. But I even remember as a kid thinking it was kind of like cheesy looking. Uh-huh. A lot of the effects. And I was a lot more forgiving as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it could, could happen. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, I know they've been uh, announcing uh, new people for uh, it chapter two. Which oh, I'm have they? About. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jessica Chastain has been confirmed as the adult Beverly. Okay. I'm not really sure who that is, uh, but I, this is the one name that, before. Yeah, this is the one that I think is very good casting. Is Bill Hader as uh, the adult Richie? No way! Oh, that's badass. That's awesome. I think. Yeah, and I don't know. You must be familiar, with Bill. He's uh, oh yeah, yep. eating, and uh, I love his. He's got a new show on HBO. It's only like eight episodes, I think. Uh, Barry. I loved it. It's oh. it starts out a little. Uh, it starts. I liked it, but as the show goes on, it gets it start. It's a comedy about a um, a hitman, professional hitman, uh-huh. who then who gets the bug to want to become an actor. Nice. And so it's a it's a very it's more of a comedy to start, but it's it's still dark, and uh-huh. it gets much darker as the series goes on, uh, up until the series finale, which I, I just watched. And watching that, it made me think, wow, he's actually a really good choice, because not only is he funny, which is good for the Richie character, he's actually a very good actor, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I've liked him in everything I've seen him in, like in Paul and um, even Superbad. You know, it's the first thing I ever yeah. saw him in. Yeah, he always he's always he really stands out in little roles. Yeah, roles. yep. So I, I think, think he was the last role. thing on uh, Saturday Night Live that was worth a damn. <laughs> 
I think there's always funny people on it, but I just I've never I've never even liked the real old ones to be honest. No, when you go back and you watch them, they're really not all that funny. I remember them being a lot funnier, but mm-hmm. again, I think it's that whole you're more forgiving as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, Troy, check out uh, and everyone out there, Barry. I highly recommend it. Okay, I definitely will. Is it? It's a Netflix thing. Or... No, it's on HBO. Oh, HBO. Okay. Yeah. All eight episodes are up. Uh, I would just watch it every week. Uh, it's, it's really, really funny show. Henry Winkler's in it, and he's awesome in it. Oh, nice. So that was, it's cool to see uh, Henry Winkler do some. Uh, Steven Root, who you might not know by name, mm-hmm. but uh, he played uh, in the movie Office Space. Yep. He played, he's the he's guy that. Man. Yeah, he's like the nerdy guy with the glasses and the stapler. Oh, okay, yep, yep. Kind of a heavy set guy. Yep. He, yeah, yeah, he plays Barry's, uh, like his boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's great in it. And I don't know the name of the actor, but he plays the leader of, like, uh, it's like uh, the Bolivian ma- mafia or something. And it's a guy who uh, was the, the, the yellow king in... Um, and True Detective. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Good. I haven't seen that guy in anything in a long time. Yeah, he's just great. He's great in it. So I'm not sure awesome. that guy's name, but uh, no, he's I don't know ex- either. He's an excellent actor. Oh, cool. All right, good. I always, I'm always looking for for something new to watch. Yeah, Glenn Glenn Fleshler. That's him. All right. He's uh, been in a lot of he's been in a lot of HBO stuff. He's True Detective, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, now Barry. <laughs> he was in Waco too, which I watched, which was very good. Waco. Yeah, it's a mini series about uh, oh. Waco, Texas. Okay, which, I didn't see which it. had like everyone from Boardwalk Empire. In it. Nice, that's awesome. I love it when you see like just a swarm of guys from HBO that you're like, Oh my God, I remember all these guys from the wire. or I remember all these guys from Oz or what, you know, whatever it may yeah. be. I have no idea how, like how big this guy really is. Cause in, in, um, when he was the yellow King, he looked like a giant. Oh yeah. Uh, when it's time Waco, he looked very short. No way. And yeah. And then, and then Barry looks very big again. So I have no idea. Like, <laughs> Huh. He's got well, the Pym particle going. Yeah, I don't know. Like I can see him gaining weight and stuff. I don't know how he gets shorter. Yeah, that's kinda wild. Like we need you to be five foot six for this role. <laughs> got you covered, man. Six right. eight in the next. <laughs> but yeah, he's a go. Yeah, I'm always happy to um see him pop up. Wow, that's great. Uh, Netflix is making a Guillermo del Toro presents 10 after midnight, a horror oh. anthology. Ooh, that sounds right up our alley. Yes. And he will direct and direct some himself. Oh, that's awesome. I need more Guillermo. Yeah. Never get yeah. enough. So, and I love anthologies. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a win-win right there. And this one sounds, you know, it's been a while since we've had a, we've cut. We, we've got into this new thing since American Horror Story where like each season's like its own anthology where they're not connected season to season. Right, so, you're I don't absolutely think right. Yeah, I don't think there's any shows anymore that's just each episode is it's is just uh, its own story. 
No, I think you're right. I think the last one, there was that one British one, remember, that they have on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that was that's about it. Yeah, that's that's true. That, that's a Black Mirror, and that's been right, right. But I think that's the only one. Because mm-hmm. all the rest of them, like yeah, like you say, they they all have that you know season long story. Which I, I'm glad that became a thing. I, I yeah, like that. I love that trend too. But it's sometimes, nice to have one one episode too. Yeah, I, mean, I miss that. The Twilight, you know, we need a Twilight. Well, I guess really, now you mentioned Black Mirror is the is our like generate this generation Twilight Zone. Yeah, yep. But remember, for a while there, you, you'd see them a lot, like um, you know, between the amazing stories and remember that one that 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 they had uh, the King stories on that was really cool. Mm-hmm. But I think it was only like a mini series type thing. Yeah. Where they had the one with the toy soldiers and all that. Mm-hmm. I forget what that was called, but I like that. Um, not an amazing stories, but I remember... Uh, was, was that it Nightmares called? and Dreamscapes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that show, too. All right. Uh, where was I? Lost my place. Um, now, Brian Fuller... I over the place for a while there. Brian Fuller left the uh, Ian's Rice, the Vampire Chronicles series. Hmm. So he's not uh, connected anymore. And so there's a rumor that uh, perhaps he will uh, finally be doing another Hannibal. Oh, okay. Ooh, that would be interesting. Even though I had my issues with season three, uh-huh. I would still like to see Hannibal return. Oh, of course. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm kind of... I wonder who's going to replace him in... Uh... In the interview with the vampire thing, or the Lestat, or whatever they're calling it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that. I, I I'm really interested in that. Uh, yeah, I hope it actually you know happens. And me too, because yeah. like you haven't seen any Anne Rice thing in a in a long time. Yeah, and I think TV as a series really. Uh, I think Game of Thrones, you know, has pos- made this possible, made the idea possible. Yep. You know, to do each uh, each book as a season or. Or maybe two seasons, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome though, and uh, like that's a trend that I absolutely love because they showed in, um, well, you know, in so many of those, just last year with uh, uh, it's an American Gods, yeah, yeah, the Neil Gaiman thing. Mm-hmm. Did you end up watching it? No, I never did. Oh, watch you got to see it, Neil, because it's it's so well done. I love it, and. Uh, Ian McShane is king in it. Who's always good and stuff. Yeah, I'm be looking forward to us seeing that. Uh, let's see, trick or treat. They're gonna have trick or treat mazes at Halloween Horror Nights. Nice. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I would dig that. Mm-hmm. I always loved that movie. I always liked that movie, but uh, seems like it's really. Uh, become like a classic over the yeah that's good too that you know we kind of needed a new you know horror uh, uh, Halloween tradition kind of thing mm-hmm. now I really liked Hall- uh, Tales of Halloween which uh, that was great that was so good I liked that so much that was uh so people should check that out good. yes if you haven't or if you have go back and rewatch it Exactly. 
You'll like it even more the second time. I did. Yes. There's a petition going around uh, trying to get Bill Mosley to be the new Freddy Krueger. Wow. I don't know, though. I I mean, I love Mosley. Don't get me wrong. But Mm -hmm. if people have to be, you know, calm if he's not exactly what they want. Because I, I don't know if he can win doing that. Because you're still going to piss off some people. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. It's, mm, I don't know. I just think that's a role that no one's going to really be able to do again. Yeah. Not for not for the foreseeable future, anyway. Yep. Uh, maybe, in, you know, I hate to say when, when he's, he's... Robert England isn't around. I mean, that will be morbid. But I think, you know... Maybe in twenty years or something. Yeah, but I don't think you can. Not not to take away anything from uh, actors who play characters in in in, ma- in full makeup and that don't have lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, it's much it is much harder to to uh, replace uh, someone who is a talking character. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Robert England is Freddy Krueger. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's think, that is a difficult one. And I think they're coming with you know Doug Bradley as Pinhead. It's hard to replace, even though yep. I thought the new guy did a good job. But yeah, that's what you would still, say. Yeah, it's just still like people are going to constantly compare it. You know. Yeah. So that's why I I don't want to see Mosley end up you know with kind of a raw deal where if it isn't written quite the same or. Just because he'd have a different take on it, you know, I I just see, I see bad things happening. That's what I see. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I see. He's got he's got enough stuff he's doing for. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's got enough stuff to keep him busy for a while. Yeah. We've got three from hell coming. I know, and every time I, I see, like, new people added and stuff, I'm I'm all excited about that. Mm-hmm. I am, too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I heard that um, Rob Zombie said he's going to start uh, editing the movie in, uh, in the fall. Oh, okay. Awesome. So you think it might have, like, a October release or something? Mm, I don't know because I don't think he'd be able to edit it that quick. Yeah, that's you think true. he'd start editing it now too to try to get it out? Yeah, or maybe so. Maybe maybe it'll be out next with fall then. See if I if I have a fault with zombie, it might be that because I remember when um the uh, Lords of Salem had a bunch of buzz behind it. And it seemed like it was another full year before it was released. And by the time it came out, it didn't really have that that same vibe that it had, you know, before it came out. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to I'd like to see him get things in the can a little quicker. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it was like there was so much buzz behind. Uh... Ah, uh, the one movie there, and it, it took forever to come out. Actually, a lot of yeah, right. thirty one did too. I think it was another like full year. Yeah, yeah. 
So pick up the pace, Rob Zombie. It's all I'm asking. Do it. Do it. All right. Well, I had a good time here, Troy. As did I. It was a great return. I I got uh, a good show in. It's been been a good one. Mm-hmm. And joining us next week here on Without Your Head, we'll have Erica Irvin, also known as Amazon Eve. Oh, that'll be fun. I think that'll be really cool, too. Yeah, from American I Horror. Some good stories. Yeah, definitely. American Horror Story Freak Show and the new film Chimera and all kinds of other stuff, too. So it'll be really cool to talk to her. And I think, um, I don't know if she still is, but at one time she was the uh, the tallest model. I think she probably still is. Yep, she probably remains that, because I think she's, what, 6'7"? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very tall. And uh, also, James Balsamo will return here. Oh, awesome. Talking I about also look Lynch. forward to that. Yeah, James is a great guy. He's very fun. Yep. All right, so that sounds like a win-win, too. Yeah, and then the week after that, Billy Pone will uh, be joining us. He was an independent uh, uh, director who's made um, Circus Circus of Hell. I think. Circus of Hell. I just like the title. I do, too. If it isn't a movie, it should be. I agree. It's a circus or something. <laughs> not the Circus Olay. It's not the Circus Olay. All right. But also joining us next month is uh, uh, fans of um, of In Your Head, uh, my wrestling show. We'll know that uh, we've had him on many times. Uh, Sean Oliver. Oh, nice. K-Fame, of K-Fame Commentaries will be joining us here on Without Your Head. I take that. Because mm-hmm, he actually has a new uh, horror novel that will be coming out. Oh, nice. So he's going to be joining us next month. That'll be cool. He's also worked in uh, different movies. and He's a big horror movie fan. So talk about horror movies. Circus of the Dead, I'm sorry. Billy Pone, Circus, Circus of, of the, the Dead. Dead. Okay, cool. All right, so we got cool stuff coming up. Yes, we talked to Billy in um, Texas. Very cool guy. I'm looking forward to this interview. Very nice. And uh, I'm sure there'll be other stuff popping up. Oh, yeah. You always have, you have multiple pokers in the fire. Exactly. 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 So there might even be, who knows, some people from your British convention coming. Mm, Yeah, we'll be working on that. That'll probably be, probably more in the summertime. Oh, okay. When, When is it? When is the convention itself? August. Oh, okay. The festival. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, oh, Nick Charles is going to be on soon. we got to figure out a uh, time for Nick Charles, who uh, made uh, B Documentary B Documentary 2, which is very cool. I think uh, friends with, like, a lot of people in this documentary. The documentary oh, about, nice. about B horror films. It's good stuff. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. And I want to wish uh, Troy... Hey, uh, uh, do you know the Kaufmans? Uh, Lloyd? Uh, no, well, Lloyd's cool, too, but Zach, uh, Zach Kaufman and Erica Kaufman of Atomic Cotton. Oh, yes. 
It's their 10th anniversary, so we want to wish them happy anniversary. Oh, very nice. That's that's mad cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Erica wants to come on the show sometime and guest co-host, so maybe we'll we'll, uh, we'll allow her. Absolutely. If she's nice. She's cool. <laughs> All right, so until next week, this is Nasty Neal. This is Terrible Troy. This is without your head. (laughs) 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 (laughs)